podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. Hello. Hey, true crime, Kent. How how's it, how you doing? Are we still are we still going to do this up? D- doing what? Doing what? The thing where I pretend like I don't know we were going to be recording, and then I magically pull this random, extremely detailed story out of my ass as if I haven't been diligently studying, taking notes, and writing an outline for the case for the past two weeks. Oh, I, I I don't uh, I, I I don't know what I don't know what you mean. So. Uh, so what movie are you watching? I'm not watching a movie, Op. I'm ready to record. Oh, I, I think I've seen that movie. <laughs> Is it the one about them? I'm literally not watching the Avengers despite what this paper says. Stick to your lines, Kent. Stick to them. <sighs> For God's sakes, I'm watching the Avengers, Op. Let's talk about Jason Vukovich because he was an Avenger himself. A real-life badass. There, I said the thing. I said the thing you wanted me to say. Sell it. Oh, oh, okay. If you want, I had no idea. Let's, uh, let me set up my equipment up. Last fucking time I do one of these intros, I swear to you. Recording has initiated. When I was 17, I didn't have any friends. I was one of those guys who got caught up with a girl and before I knew it, high school was over. We'd broken up and I didn't have any place to be. So I started hanging out at this pizza place because the owners were nice to me and and they hired me on. It was an old seedy brick building right downtown across from the fire department, surrounded by bars. Everything seemed to have lights on it, patio lanterns. The pizza place itself had its door open to the street in the warmer months. The owner, a little spark plug who looked exactly like uh, Luis Guzman, or if you don't know who that is, kind of like Super Mario. He'd pace out front of the building, smoking, swearing, and attempting to charm people into the place, but... More often than not, the only two inside this little hovel would be me, his husband, an enormous black guy who uh, never really wanted to be there but had bought the place to please his partner. I say black guy, I don't know why. I've been told it doesn't matter race, but I mean, when you're trying to describe people, if the guy's black or white or... I don't know. It's just the way that uh, white people describe other races, I guess. They, They gotta say the race, right? If you're a black guy, you say white guy, Latino guy. If you're a Latino guy, you say black guy, white guy, right? He was one of the sweetest human beings I ever met. He was like a father to me. Anyways, the place was empty because Luis Guzman was an extremely flamboyant gay man. He'd give customers massages, dress in drag, and sing Gladys Knight and the Pip songs at Tableside. He was constantly talking about his little dicky dick. It was really, it was fucked up. And the place got a reputation for being too weird and 
uh, gay to eat at. This is 1996-97. But I thought the place was hilarious. I loved these guys, and I stayed in this place with these two strange gay men who were in their late 40s. I stayed in this place for two years, spending every evening and entire weekends with them. We did Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter together in their upstairs apartment. It was odd. I loved it. But then it got out of hand. Super Mario started speaking sexually to me. His partner was sick, dying, to be honest. And he wanted to pay me to give me blowjobs. When I said no, he offered to pay me to hold my dick while I peed. And I said no. Gross. Then he offered me 50 bucks to jerk off into a baby bottle. Uh, One of those white baby bottles with the yellow nipple. He wanted to pay me to jerk off into that and leave it in the back cooler for him. And I, I didn't do that either. Anyways, they, they went into business, left in the night like gypsies, as they always said they would, and I never saw them again. And sometimes I regret not getting paid 50 bucks a pee. And sometimes I wonder how much he would have paid to blow me. Ah, well, missed opportunities, hindsight's 2020, all that. Anyways, guys, have a good show. Kent, the operator, can't wait to hear if he got molested or not. That's the last one I got. And I'd just like to add that the subject of sexual assault or harassment isn't funny. And I really didn't appreciate the last time when I told my tent story. Hold up, hold up, hold up. This guy <laughs> talks about getting molested in a tent and doesn't expect us. In the woods, he picks he picks dare with a random boy in the woods and then expects us to just be cool with it. And then he talks about being paid to jerk off into a baby bottle in a freezer and we're supposed to just boo-hoo with him about this? I kind of feel like Jack at some point like was watching Star Trek or something. He's like, no matter what I ever do, if I use a voice like this I could get away with the most absurd thing that anybody could ever believe that I could ever do because <laughs> what's coming out of his mouth and what he's doing in the story are like why are all of Jack's instances of being molested so bizarre so like why can't he just have a normal molesting like everybody else <laughs> Why are all of Jack's instances about being molested? <laughs> you ever just call Jack on the phone or get it? He starts off everything, everything with this one time I was getting molested. Exactly. It's like every, like, oh my God, you got molested. I know we got like, and I've got so many, inst- I could, there's so many stories from his childhood of just, ah, oh, it's like molested, molested. Well, I think what's funny, too, is it's like this one, he, do you, he did you hear him? He said, when I was 17. <laughs> Mike, hang on, when does this that's stop just, for you? I think that's consensual. <laughs> At that point, yeah. That's like right on the brink of being consensual. You're no Boy Scout anymore. <laughs> You're a man scout. I, don't, I think that's just sexual harassment at that point. <laughs> if you have more pubes than your predator, I, there's got to be a rule there or something. If you're old enough to rent the car, if, yeah, that you got molested in. Yeah. <laughs> How much money would it take for you to get you to jerk off in a baby bottle in a freezer up? Well, for one, it's not easy to get into a freezer. Two, I'm not quite sure I would be aroused in that kind of temperature. 
So I think we're, we're two strike. Yeah, but you're 17 at the time. Remember the story. 17, you can get... I mean, you can turn that thing into cement under extreme conditions, under <laughs> duress. I could, at 17 years old, I could get an erection in the middle of being robbed. So, $25, would you jerk off in a bottle? No. Uh, $25, I wouldn't, I wouldn't jerk off in like a cheap bottle. <laughs> it would have to be like a Crown Royal bottle or something. Well, I think he said the man wanted him to jerk off in a baby bottle. One is to assume it is for the purpose of drinking it. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I, which makes it more gross because it's in a freezer. Like, I mean, I have no desire to drink semen whatsoever, but I think I would prefer it to be warm if, if I had to. Yeah. Good question. I was, I was thinking about semen earlier today. Oh yeah. I'm excited for this. It was just a thought I had where, imagine this, imagine this. Like you have a friend and you don't see him very often. Maybe you see him, I don't know, maybe once every two weeks. Or something like that. And when you see him, you only get to see him for like, I don't know, three minutes. But every time you meet and you give him a bro hug, you get something on your face or on your shirt or somehow in an orifice on your body. And I was like, that is that is the women's experience. <laughs> every single time. Like... If I had a friend like that, I'd be like, hey, you know what? It's really good to see you all the time. I don't want to ever meet again. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Bless you, women. I don't know. I mean, I'd take 25 bucks to to jerk off in like a nice bottle. Like a Dr. Scholl's or no. What's the doctor? The Dr. ones with the... Scholl's. <laughs> what's the bottles? Foot fetish mixed in there. <laughs> The bottles with the with the the little sack, and yeah, the Crown Royal. Right, they're like the, the purple, expensive the, bottles, the rich people bottles, right? The purple no, sack. We're talking about baby bottles. Oh, baby bottle with the sack. They were paying him to jerk off into a baby bottle. Yeah, I don't know about expensive baby bottles. Is are there such a thing? Ah, uh, yeah, you've got. I mean, yeah, I have. A, like, there's like there's. There's designer baby bottles, and then there's those cheap, like, trailer park baby bottles, like what they were trying to get Jack to jerk off into. Yeah, Which is like the brown nipple. Yeah, right. You know, and then it's like a long, slender... Yeah. It's like the Honda Civic of baby bottles. Yeah. Avent makes a real good bottle. You know, there's a handful of... Yeah, uh, so I'd probably jerk into an Avent for 25 bucks, but I'm going to need at least 50 to to go into one of those cheap ones. I guess the way I look at it is... Expensive bottle, not expensive bottle. The experience is really pretty much the same because you got to take the lid off any way you look at it. And at that point, you're talking about minor adjustments in ergonomic design of the actual like bottle part of it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just not. I don't want to feel cheap. I don't want to walk away from this exchange feeling. I hear you. Like if you're gonna pay, me, like I want to be treated like I'm worth with, it with respect. I want to be. Like, oh, yeah, here's $25, jerk off in this cheap bottle that I got in a three-pack at Dollar General. Like, I'm not that kind of girl. No, I agree. I I might rewind in my life experience just a little bit back to not have to answer that question. What I might do is I probably would have just picked another place to start living before all this happened. That's what I would have probably Well, he was working there. Sure was. 
there's a probably a whole volume of stories there. <laughs> Who knows? He says, quote unquote, working, but do we know what he was working on? <laughs> Oh, Jack. Always, oh, Jack. Just always getting molested, that guy. So many questions. So few Well, answers. the last couple episodes off, have, they've, they've been pretty heavy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I figured we would kick this one off with like a softball question for you, you know, just to kind of, we're going to kind of bring it down and not, nobody dies in this episode, so. Okay. So I figured I'd kick this episode off with a softball question. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hit me. Hey, the operator. Hey. Have you ever been molested? Yes. Okay, well, you answered that really quickly. I'm. Then tell us all about it, if, if okay. you're okay with it. Yeah. Do you remember the TV show Miami Vice? Oh, no. Oh, man, you missed out. You really... I know the show you're talking about. I've never seen a single episode. Okay, I'll just, you know the A-team? Dun, 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 uh, in high dun, school, dun, they were the dun. guys that played first, and then the B-team yeah. was like, the not the varsity, but, you know, they were like... Oh, yeah, they get a participation trophy, and then they play the other shitty players of the football teams and yes. stuff in high school. So, yeah, I know the A-team. That version of the A-team in the 80s was called the Bad News Bears, which was a baseball-oriented movie slash TV series. The A-team, okay. the original A-team was, I was just bringing it up because the the music, once you hear the music to the intro of the A-team, it's in your head for the rest of the day. You know what? I'm just going to turn on behind me while I talk about this for a second. But... Similar to this attractive song that you're hearing right now with the A-Team, another attractive song was, that's right, the Miami Vice theme song. Oh, okay. So the Miami Vice, Miami Vice was this TV show in the 80s, and it was amazing. It took place in Florida. It was Crocs, Crockett and Tubbs. They were the police officers and... They were just so edgy, and you know they were always going after like the cigar drug runner, cigar boat on the water, and shooting shiny guns and all this. Anyway, the flagship episode, the first episode of Miami Vice, was coming out, and my friend said, "Do you want to come over and watch it?" And I said, "Sure," but it was going to come on at like nine thirty at night, so I had to like get permission from my mom because I was younger. Maybe I was nine, ten, to go over, and I was going to I was going to sleep oh, over. Oh boy. That's prom. prom. But, but you know, it's the middle of the night for a 10-year-old. So I I got permission to go over there and everything. And we're laying, I'll never forget it, we're laying on his hardwood floor. And he, he, he had laid down like, I don't know, he called it a blanket. It was more like a sheet. And we were both propped up on our pillows. Yeah. Isn't that always the case when you were sleeping over as a kid? Exactly. Especially if you're about to get molested. Which it seems, seems like, like whenever somebody knows they're having a kid sleep over, suddenly they remember about the bed of nails that they had in the basement for the, the bring up for the kid to sleep on. That's basically what I was sleeping on. Anyway. They just throw you a, a pillowcase? Yeah. Here's a pillowcase. Yeah. And here's a solace to slap your back all night long and, you know, say your prayers and expect it to do that. Um <laughs> Well, he had a brother, and his brother was very older and very bigger. And he came out in the middle Uh-oh. of the night and was, like, talking to me and everything. Because I, I was, like, I always had an active, overactive imagination. I didn't fall asleep very quick. So I was fine. I was happy to have him up awake talking and stuff. And then he kind of, and then he got all gropey. And he was, he was much older than I was. So I 
just like it didn't go anywhere. It was it was it stayed basically in petting zoo land, not heavy petting zoo, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but it 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 was not not enjoyable and it didn't, you know, it was like I don't know. I you know, it was tidy my tidy whities I'll leave it at that. And uh so it was I walked away from that going that that was a really good episode of Miami Vice and it became one of my favorite shows after that you were so into Miami Vice yeah that you were getting molested yeah throughout it and you never broke away from the plot line of the episode that you were watching exactly i could have been sprawled across train tracks and lost both of my legs just below the knees and I would have walked away from that going, wow, that was a good episode. Now, let me ask you this. Is Miami Vice now a trigger for your molestation? No. No. If Miami Vice comes on, are you like, Ugh. you know, then start let seizing me ask up? You, you, you've, you, you've gone to a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist before, right? Every week. Okay, I have Every Thursday, actually. I went to a marriage counselor at one point, which quickly turned into a now what counselor. Then I got a divorce. Uh, so I can't say that it really, I, I did much, um, you know, he had some opinions and it'd be probably he's right. As he said something like, I never know which version of you I'm talking to. I don't know what that means. All I know was every time I went, I talked my head off and I was just trying to get some help. But he also saw my ex-wife at the same time. So there might have been a bias that he was building. But here's my question is, we we know there's a billion cases out there of people that are triggered, affected, and it, it kind of it veers their life in a weird way when things like that happen. What does it say about me if it's not affected me one bit? Am I a psychopath? What's mm. what's wrong with me? Nah, maybe sociopath. Because I've I had like I, I, maybe you're a sociopath. I had like three experiences growing up, and I don't want to diminish the severity of this type of thing in anybody else's life. But I, I never, I, I don't know why. I, I've never, I, I've addressed it. I've looked it in the face. I, I can talk about it. I can talk about any, any of them. But I've never. It really hasn't like dictated any part of my life, and I, do, and it worries me a little. Yeah, I probably should. Yeah, yeah. I'll look into that. I don't know if that's a good thing. I think that I don't feel unhealthy. Like a, a low level sociopath, yeah. but not like a sociopath, like in the. And like the Ted Bundy, yeah, you know, ask, but more like a sociopath, and maybe like the the Steve Jobs. Okay, okay, kind of, all right, kind of way. Yeah, like I don't feel like. Here's the thing: people, when people, when things like that happen, extreme things, good or bad, most oftentimes as humans, we we use it as energy, right? And it either becomes a negative energy in our life, and it drags us down, or you know, with, with with hope and and with some practice, it becomes positive energy. These things literally are no energy for me. It's like it doesn't play. I don't think it ever becomes positive energy. I think it becomes energy that people learn to use as maybe fuel. That, that's what but I mean. It's it's negative. It's negative fuel. It's still yeah, it's yes. still never positive fuel. But it might drive somebody to, you know, to help in a cause or to, to be yes. more compassionate toward yes. others that have gone it's through it. It's negative fuel with positive results. Yes. I, I've I've just never found it to fuel me any way I look at it. Partially, I think maybe part of it, and I'm sorry I'm going on so long, part of it is I have a very firm belief in our, abil- in our ability to have agency. We choose what we're going to do, and in that regard, 
a lot of the times we choose what we do to other people and I see it in that light like and and I'm like I I can't do anything about what that person did and it, it doesn't weigh on me. I, I don't. I, and I'm worried that I'm diminishing the severity of the the topic of molestation for anybody. But for me personally, I don't know why, and it worries me a little because I'm wondering if maybe I am crazy or you know there's something wrong with me. It should affect me, but it doesn't. Well, it's also pretty important to point out that you had a pretty weak molestation. I did all three. You had like a sissified kind of molest, like. You didn't have like a hardcore molestation. Like, if your molestation was music, it would be like Celine Dion. Yeah. Like some people get like Megadeth molestation, oh, yeah. and that's oh, the yeah. molestation that leaves you with long term issues. And actually, right. uh, the, the fellow that we're going to be covering today uh, is is one that experienced that, but he, he kind of took that negative fuel and and turned it into positive results like we were talking about earlier in my opinion uh there's going to be a lot of contradictory arguments after this episode is up uh contrary to that so yes that's what i i agree and i'll just leave it at that i think all all three of my experiences were in the were in the definitely the camp of celine dion level molestation and i I don't mean to downplay your molestation no but that's exactly what i'm doing yeah i welcome just so we're clear downplay Yes. Yeah, because I want to make sure everybody else is clear that I am not in this set. You're like, I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to make myself out to be some somebody more important than I am with a bigger, We're not in the big leagues. molestation. No, no, yeah, I'm definitely, whatever league Celine Dion is, I like that analogy. I never really thought of it that way, that I'm Celine Dion in the molestation <laughs> arena. Maybe Avril Lavigne in like 2003. I had one that I would put in Avril Lavigne territory. You've got skater boy molestation. Yeah. I had like a babysitter thing where it was like, you're not leaving this laundry room until you do this. And I was like, that it was a girl. And I was like, "That's this oh, is yeah. my way out? This is my way out of here? Okay. <laughs> you know, still inappropriate, terribly <laughs> weird and crazy of this much older girl to do, but a lot of, a lot of people don't. I, in our society, they don't look at that as bad as, like, you know, something Ed Kemper might do to somebody. Which is weird. Very weird. I know. But I try not to think about it. Oh, hey, look at that. I'm trying not to think about it. Okay, so I'm not so weird. <laughs> Ooh, feel better. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> well, I want to point out with my story first that I was a cute kid, okay? I, like, I was yeah. adorable. You're a beautiful man. I Thank you. I appreciate that. We actually look like we could be related, in all honesty. We do. So, in calling me beautiful, you're kind of calling yourself beautiful. That's why. But no, just we you. both look like right now we would be. And I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me. We look like we would be mm-hmm. taste testing IPAs at some kind of hipster <laughs> bar. That's what we both yeah. look like. You'd be constantly saying this one has a very nutty flavor. I can taste. There's an oakiness to it. Yeah, and you would be like, this one tastes like root beer. <laughs> yeah, I don't taste the root beer part of this. I just my my fingers fingers are tingly now, and you're my best friend. I mean, we both got beards. We both got black rim glasses. Uh, yep. We got the same haircut. Like uh, we we were just cut right out of the basic white guy handbook. Kind of kind of both of us. But I was a cute kid, right? One of us has an accent. <laughs> I always, I always liked, 
I always liked wearing my jeans, and I and I loved having holes in the knees of them. Like that was my fashion. Actually, I've got a book from kindergarten where I said, "What's your favorite outfit?" I said, "Jeans with holes in the knees of them." So edgy. And I always had like a Daffy Duck shirt on. It was the early nineties. Like a, I was a cute kid. In theory, I should have been fighting molesters off with a stick. I mean, should have. I don't know why you weren't. It's kind of a travesty. I don't know what happened. I came across surprisingly few child molesters. And also my mom was uh, very adamant uh, about us not getting molested. She, she like, really, she was against it, I would say. Like, wholeheartedly against it. Against me and my brother getting molested. I can support her. I can see the, the, the reason she would be avid, avidly against that. Looking at you now and thinking of you as a boy... Not not deeply thinking of you as a boy, but looking deeply into your eyes now and seeing a boy in there, I can see. Still there, see. just screaming. Yep, yep. Well, you know, despite Mom's efforts, uh, we were living at Silver Creek Apartments in Berea on Miracle Drive. And the only reason I give the specifics is because the last time I told a story like this, people enjoyed looking it up on Google Maps. <laughs> I actually had people send me pictures and stuff. Is this the building? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I was talking about. <laughs> Silver Creek Apartments on, on Miracle Drive in Berea, Kentucky. We were living at those apartments. I was probably about nine years old. And, you know, we were just doing, like, we lived there for a little bit. I remember there was the woods behind the apartments, and somebody had made, like, a makeshift zip line. And we would go back there and Fun. we would zip line down the zip line and just be kids, you know, bart yeah. and just whatever boys do, you know, just neighborhood kids, the boys, there's a bunch of little hood rat kids around yeah. there, kind of a little ghetto area. You know, that's fun. But there was always this like 15 or 16 year old older boy that would like come around. He would hang out in the woods there and just watch us do zip and lining and, mm. and do the farts and, and all yeah. the, on all the stuff that young boys do. And he never really talked much, but, and one time I snuck him into our, our apartment and I don't know where my mom or my stepdad were. They, they would have never let him in the house because mom could smell a molester. I mean, just, she had, she was like a bloodhound. She's like, mm. molester, 1.6 miles out, due east, yeah. you know, c- come in the house. But so she wasn't there, and my, and my stepdad was a cop, and he was also good at, it was his job to know molesters. So he would have never let a molester in the house. He could have also, but whatever they were doing, I, I do know that I snuck him into the house, up to my room, and we were playing Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. You snuck this boy up to your room? Yeah, he was like 15, 16. I was nine years old, so he was about six, seven years older than me. So he's up in my room, and we're playing Mortal Kombat 3, and it was his idea to come into my house. Hang on, hang on. I'm it. sorry. Just to clarify. Okay, I just want to set, set the tone. You you snuck him up to your room. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing some math here. I, just, I mean, I never even really thought about it, but yeah, I snuck him up to my okay. room. I right. brought the, I brought it on myself. Okay. I got myself... All right. Actually, not, this part of the story isn't that bad because we're up there playing Mortal Kombat 3. I remember Mortal Kombat 3 had just launched. They call it Trilogy, Mortal Kombat Trilogy. Mm, I love Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're playing that, and while we're sitting there playing, we're sitting on the floor. I'm sitting Indian style. He's sitting beside me, and I remember he was laying over. He was like laying on his side, like facing me, right, on his elbow, kind of propped up playing. And I kept feeling this this wet hit the side of my face while I was playing. I was like, what the f-? Weird. I was little, so I was like, what the heck? You know, because yeah, I didn't say heck? fuck then. I was like, "What in the heck? What in the what in the heck, heck is this wetness yeah. hitting me? Yeah. What in the heck and what in the heck and heck?" Mm-hmm. And I would like play and I would like wipe it off real quick, and it felt like it felt like somebody had had water on their fingers and they were 
just flicking it. That's Flick what it, it felt right. like. Okay. And it was like confusing me, and I was just playing, and I would try to do moves, and then I was, what the heck? There's more water on my face. And I kept wiping off, and finally I looked, and this, this young man, 15, 16, I realized what he was doing was he was gleeking all over the side of my face. Oh. Every time I wouldn't look at him. Every time I wasn't looking. You know that thing where you Ew. spit yeah. underneath your tongue, and he was yeah. spitting on me. He was spitting on my face every time I wasn't watching. So I was like, well, that's weird. And not long after that, either my mom or my stepdad caught us, and they were like, "You need to get. he, he needs to get the hell out of here. That's a molester, I tell you. You know, that's even though he had done nothing, for, and they didn't know about the gleeking, but my parents, they were not okay with this. They were not yeah. okay with this this older boy being in the house. They knew something weird was up. Yeah. Okay, so we've established who this guy is. Maybe a few days later, there was a field across from the apartments, a small field. Mm-hmm. And at the edge of that field were these woods and at the time it's not there anymore if you go on Google Maps there was a trailer an old shitty rundown trailer so much of my life ends up in a trailer it seems yeah I, I remember all us all us hood rat kids were out there playing baseball like sandlot you know like we just had rundown mm. equipment but we were out there just playing hood rat kid baseball and mm-hmm. once again this 15 16 year old boy is there so like halfway He's, through the yeah. game I'm having a good time us me and the hoodlums we're all playing baseball, and halfway through the game, this boy, he's like, hey, you want to see something cool? You want to see something cool? And I was like, mm. heck heck, yes, I do. Heck yes, I would like to see something cool. Whereas now, now because I'm a grown man, I would go, fuck yeah, I want to see something cool. But because I was a kid, I'd say, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Right? Yep. So he takes me to his trailer at the edge of the woods there on the other side of the field. And, you know, I'm a smart kid. I was a cute kid, but I was a smart kid. Where mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm like good at assessing risk. Yep. Older boy, he's like, you want to go inside? You want to go You want to go inside? You want to go in my trailer? You want to go see my room? And I'm thinking, you know, run down trailer, older boy, bad seed apparently, kind of come off as a troublemaker. His parents aren't home. Like, I surveyed this scene real quick. And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, let's go in there. That sounds <laughs> that sounds good. Let's do that." So you, you you were great at assessing the risk. You were also super interested in in accessing the risk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but right. I knew it was there. Right. Yeah. Like I, I just wasn't good at not just still walking into it. Right. You ever seen anybody get decapitated by helicopter blades? Yes. Kind of yeah. the same thing. You know, the blades are there. Like, I looked up as a kid. I was like, "Those, there's helicopter blades there. But s- s- some people, sometimes they still. Yep. They get their head caught in the blades. Yep. And it's over. Have you ever seen a, a woman run into the tail blade of a, of, a, of, a, of a helicopter? Oh, it is a mess. Boy. It is a real mess. Yeah, because you hit the top blades. It's just the top of your head and your body does what your body does after you die. And it just falls to the ground. But I watched this lady run. She thought she was running behind the helicopter, but when the blade, the tail runner blade is spinning that fast, it's invisible. She ran right into it. Wow. Wow. Instant just Rebecca stew. Just. Yeah. Just. Well, have you ever felt of a helicopter blade? Have you ever, like, got your hands around one? Have you ever held one like a hoagie? It's what it feels like. It feels like holding a hoagie. They they call them blades, but it is not. A, it's like a big spinning baseball bat. That's yes. what. Yes. Yeah, you'd be bludgeoned really if if you got. That's what hit it is. It. 
Yeah. That's what the only is. reason your head comes apart is because you get hit with, I don't know, what, 32 of them in that moment. In a, in a millisecond, running 5 million yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, it just pulverizes. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't cut, it's no though. fun. There's no cutting. No. no, it's all just impact. Yep. So young Kent is walking into these helicopter blades, but I know mm. they're there. Right? Yeah. And at this time, I don't even know what getting molested means. So we go inside. We go back to his room. Parents aren't home. And this room, the second I walk in, it looks like Sid's room from Toy Story, right? You remember? You remember Toy Story? That's what. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's like Megadeth is on the wall, and for some reason, poor kids never use two tacks to hang a poster. I've never figured that out. There's always one tack, and they always look like they just fucking pinned a tack on the donkey because it's always like off centered, and the poster's crooked. There's like a Playboy playmate. This kid's like 15. Why is the parents letting let him play, hang playmates on the wall? And like, it's like a a brick cinder block coffee table beside his hat beside his bed with an ashtray in it. Every toy in his room is battery or operated, but none of the batteries are good. They're all dead. <laughs> exact. It's yeah. an analog TV with the with the antennas. I guess that's not that out of place. This is like 94, 95. So, uh, so this is a bad. I'm like, okay, yeah. This smells. This smells like marbles and urine, and and I don't know what being molested means, but I'm probably. I'm guessing my my odds are high that. This is a situation that mom and, and my stepdad were trying to avoid me getting in. Yeah. Something, something life-changing is getting ready to happen. I'm, I'm speculating. Yeah. And even though you're innocent, you walk in and you're like, why suddenly do I know what the word molested means? Uh, oh. You know, the room actually, it imbues that knowledge on your face through <laughs> osmosis. When you go in, you're like, oh, I just learned a new word. I don't know how, but yeah. this room means molest, molest, molested. It's like the Lord comes down for a minute, and he's like, you're going to need this. You're going to need this knowledge. <laughs> yeah, like you just jacked into the Matrix, and you're like, wow, not only not only do I know what molested means, I know what walking into helicopter blades feels like, and how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> walking into them backwards. <laughs> and bent over position. <laughs> In a semi-prone position. So... Oh. Uh, he's like sit down on the bed, and his bed didn't have any sheets on it. I think we all already knew that. I didn't yeah, have to point that out. We all already knew that. That bed didn't have no fucking sheets. Probably not a sheet in that house. Probably not a single sheet in that house. It was just like a box spring and a mattress. So I sat down there. He pulls out a Hustler magazine, right? Yeah. And we all know that Hustler is like the X-rated version of Playboy. Hustler was always like, there's penetration, there's anal stuff. I don't there's know. There's like semen what? and jizz. Wow. No. And there's like just dicks. Just no. There's a, it's like a lot, man. Like, like there's just so many dicks. Not and like lots of vaginas. It's the no, 90s, no. so there's a lot of pubic hair. There's pubic hair everywhere. No and way. because he was 15, this is probably a vintage one, probably from the 80s. So there's just like big pubic afros nah. and dicks and vaginas. Doesn't exist. semen. Yeah. Goes against laws of nature. And, you know, we didn't have the internet then, so this was all new to me. So he sits it in my lap, and he sits down beside me, and he opens it up, and he goes, you know what a blowjob is? <laughs> and I was like, nah, no, no, but just a minute ago, I didn't know what molested was, so <laughs> I got a feeling second. I'm getting ready to laugh. <laughs> I did just realize this, this side of the mattress feels fresh. Did you flip it recently? <laughs> and then he's like, you know what a hand job is? And, and he's like showing, he's like going through the pages and like pointing. Here's the funny thing. Uh, my next memory, I'm playing baseball again. Oh, gosh. 
Poor Kent. Oh, Kent, I feel bad for you. Oh. So sometimes, like, sometimes I'm driving down the road. Yeah. And, just, and when I get bored, I'll be like, I'll try really hard to think about, like, what, what are you trying to keep from me, Kent? What are you trying to... I'll try to dig into, like, the recesses of my brain. I'll really try... I guess I'm just driving down the road trying to fuck myself up real bad. That's what I'm trying to do. Like, what happened? Did I get molested up? Did I give somebody a fucking hand job? I'm, I think I gave a hand job, bro. I think I gave a boy a hand job. I don't know. Fucking asshole. That's and I think his name was Justin. If I remember correct, that might be completely wrong. I'm pretty sure this kid's name was Justin. And he'd probably be about 40 years old now. And he might still be in Berea. And you thought I fucking forgot that shit, didn't you, you motherfucker? <laughs> I remember Justin. It might not even be his name. It was probably like Dale or something. But for some reason, my brain says Justin. I think you have a new project with your psychiatrist now. <laughs> and uh, so maybe I didn't get... I, I'm, I'm, so, I think something happened, but my, I don't remember it. And I don't even know if that's how forgotten memories work, that you know you don't remember it. But I don't think it is. Maybe that's why I'm afraid of sharks. I'm afraid of sharks. I'm terrified of sharks. It was the 90s, and maybe he was wearing, like, a street sharks shirt whenever he made me jerk him off or whatever. You remember that show? Or maybe he was wearing a National Geographic Shark Week shirt. Or maybe there was a magazine, and I was just like, look at the magazine. There's sharks. I'm terrified of sharks. It's, like, the only thing I'm, like, super afraid of. I hate sharks. Now that you mention it, there are two things that I, that, that, that I don't like. One is synthwave music, which was also the theme song style of music for Miami Vice. And I also don't like neon neon colored shirts. So you don't like neon? Are you looking at... <laughs> look at both my, of us right now. It looks like the inside of a 1980s strip club in both of our <laughs> recording booths right now. Nobody can see that, but... It looks like if you could get inside of a cross-dressing whale. That's what... Our studios look like the innards yeah. of of a very fabulous, the fabulousest whale in the world. That's what our studios look like. Well, I mean, so that's my story. Maybe I got molested. Maybe I didn't. Maybe nothing happened. Maybe but I think maybe I gave a hand job. Something did. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but probably. So would you say the magazine was kind of an instruction guide? Like maybe I can unlock your brain here. Do you remember seeing step one? And then it ending somewhere. Okay, let's try to do this on a recording. I'm closing my eyes. Okay. Kent, mm -hmm. pretend you're opening the magazine. And there... Okay, well, I didn't open it. He did. He put it in my lap okay. and he opened it. Kent, Justin opens the magazine. What do you see? What do you see, Kent? There is a woman with her, her bush open. Yes, the daughter of Eve. Yes. Do you see instructions on that page? No, he's feeding me instructions. He's like, look there, see that? See that? That's called a cock. Okay. And and in your mind, in your mind, you look you look to the right where Justin's sitting. No, he's sitting to my left. He's sitting on your left. Look to the left. Are the openings on his breeches, are they opened? Uh, boom. We did it. We did it. We did this. You're welcome. It's there, deep down, somewhere. I know it's there. Something weird happened, dude. I agree. I'm going to dig it out one of these days. I've, uh, I'll get in there. What? See, the thing is, I, I picture the inside of, I think Dreamcatcher, that movie by Stephen King, they got it real good, real accurate whenever they portrayed how you access memories, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? Yep. 
where he's got he's inside his head in the library and he's trying to get into that room that's locked and he doesn't know. I just got to find the key to that. I got to get inside that room. Something is in that room. Yep. Maybe listen to Megadeth again. Maybe. Maybe it's just gonna. Maybe I need to sleep on a on a mattress without a sheet and smell Marlboros all night and something will come. Yeah. Something will come something. popping up. I don't know. Something's gonna happen in that situation. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna hit me eventually, and then I imagine I'll start doing I don't know meth or something. I figure. Mm. But I want to get ahead of something real quick before we dive into this story up. I have okay. a feeling that uh, after this episode, we're going to get hit on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook by a lot of uh, overly sensitive listeners that are going to say things like, they're advocating for violence against pedophiles, and they aren't shaming his crimes in the least bit. So Jason was born in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> so Jason was born in Anchorage, Alaska on June 5th, 1975 to a Mr. Gary and a Mrs. Sandy. Now... He had an older brother named Joel, who was born in 1971, four years his senior. They never really knew their biological father because he kind of bounced out when Jason was three years old to be with another woman. And we'll kind of dabble in that a little bit more in a moment. Okay. But his mother, Sandy, married a, a fellow by the name of Larry Lee Fulton when Jason was four years old, whom she had met in church. Now, Larry is going to be the bad guy in this story. I know because we're covering Jason, you would probably assume Jason's the bad guy. Jason is the mm. criminal here, but I don't consider him the bad guy. The bad guy in this story is Larry Lee Fulton. Like I said, his mother Sandy married Larry when Jason was four. Joel, Jason's brother, was eight. And uh, she had met him at church. It's tell as old as time, you know? How do you spell Joel? J-O-E-L. Would that be... Is it similar to Joel? Yes. Okay. What's... Yes, and that's actually how everybody pronounces it. Okay, Joel or Joel. Joel, Joel, Joel. Joel? Yeah. Okay, just, all right. Now, I've never been in church and thought about lovemaking. Did, did you ever meet anybody? Did you ever date somebody from church? Um, I've never made love in a church. Is that what you just said? Do I, no, I like, ever? No, you just like, because, you know, Jason's biological mother, Sandy, met Larry at church. Mm -hmm. I was just mm -hmm. curious if you'd ever... No, you know. No, I wouldn't say like met someone at church and started dating from church. No, not really. No. Well, anyways, Larry adopted both boys, Joel and and Jason. And then on top of that, Larry and Sandy have two additional children, one boy and one girl. Now, I don't have the names of this of this biological boy and girl that belongs to Larry. Mhm. Mm but I knew that while they're growing up, the biological son and daughter of Larry are treated entirely differently than the way that he treated Jason and Joel. Mm. Entirely differently, which is okay. extremely sad whenever that happens, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think that's pretty common, unfortunately. Well, it messes a kid up. I mean, that kid doesn't know any different, and to see that kind of a contrast between the way they're treated and another is that's something a kid shouldn't have to experience, in my opinion. They know. Well, they, they see it. Oh, they it's not like they don't see it. They see it. They just, I, I'm sad. You know, whenever Christmas comes, when Christmas comes around, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, the biological kid gets a Red Rider BB gun, and then the, the adoptive son, he's like, what did I get? A and target. Like, you know, you can go down to the go down to the junkyard, go down to the salvage yard, pick you out a new radiator or something. <laughs> exactly. I'll call it, it's on me, and then he flicks a dime, <laughs> you know. So sad. They know. Uh, def they definitely know. So while the kids are raised in a strict Christian household, which it seems to be said a lot when we're talking about the beginnings of, of true crime stories, unfortunately, that does come up a lot, right? Ed Gein. Yes. And more. 
Um, I was going to say a bunch off the top of my head, and then the only one that I could come up with is Ed Gein. Ed Gein. Hold on. Well, I th- I believe Ted Bundy's uh, mom was quite quite religious. Actually, at one point, Ted Bundy Ted was Bundy, quite yeah, religious. Yeah, just had a major brain fart. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so you know what? I will say this, because it does come up a lot. So the question is often maybe posed or should be, why? Why is this, a, why is this an ingredient so often? I'll tell you what I think it is, is religion oftentimes people involved in religion forget that it is a very personal thing and they believe they miss they they believe mistakenly that being part of a religion is a new filter by which you should view the rest of the world and it it quickly breeds contempt for the rest of the world and uh even internally in a family, I think a strict Christian is often a term you hear. And what I usually hear when I hear that is it's an excuse to be mean to other people. Yeah. Is really what it, whether it's a mom and a dad being mean to their children or being absolute in their, the way that they parent or the way that they judge their neighbor or whatever. Uh, it, it can be, uh, it's sad. It's sad, but it is really oftentimes an excuse to try to be superior or perceive that you're superior. And if that's the case, you forgot all about what it should be. You know. So anyway, I disagree. You know what I think it is? Hmm. I disagree, and and this is why. So what we're seeing that what they do, I think, is is they like the 2021 version of of people taking on bad people joining religion is what you're seeing now with young people uh, joining mm. woke causes and and deep down who they are as a person they don't care about that cause yeah. really but it is a way for them to put out this image on social media on Instagram on Facebook on Twitter blah 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 right that they're a good person. So they don't have to do the work to be a good person. They can just blare this out. Now, a lot of the people that are a part of, part yeah. of these organizations are good sure. people. They're they're great people. They're there for general. But there is a certain percentage, and you would be brain dead or in pure denial to try to argue this. There is a percentage that aren't there for the right reasons. And I think that's what was going. That's why, why this comes up time and time again with true crime is that people were doing the same thing. Then it was just in yes. a different bottle. It was just in a different. It was a different brand. It was Christianity. It was Catholicism. It was. I agree. I agree. And and I think uh, we want to believe that good organizations, whatever whatever they may be, whether they be social or religious or or you know, whatever, that uh, that they would attract good people or generate good people. The more exposure those people, and have. I think that for the most part they do. They do, but. They, they also, a lot of people don't, don't really want to accept the fact that good organizations also attract bad actors, uh, because it's the last thing you'd expect. And you look, look through time, look through history. Every good organization, every good thing has attracted a bad actor at one point or another, or somebody that's willing to, to abuse that organization or that group because it, nobody's expecting it, you know? Nobody expects to be have it yeah. used that way. And the reason I bring that up is because it it lets bad people put on a mask. 
Yeah. And, that, and that's why I'm saying I think religion comes up a lot in the past is because that was the mask then. That was the that was their get in. That was that was their pass. That was yeah, yeah, okay. That was how they slithered through society. A great example, great example. I don't know if you've seen it before, but the, there was there's the David Koresh miniseries on I believe Netflix. Oh, it was so good, so it was good. so good. Here's my th- after seeing that. Here's my v- view on it. David Koresh was a very intelligent man and very intelligent from a from a from a biblical knowledge and spiritual you know he knew how to lead people but very charismatic very charismatic but uh didn't check himself when it came to the power part of it and i believe that under the surface he was drunk on that power and and did exactly what you're saying he he chose to put the wolf costume on amongst the sheep in and then claim to be the shepherd you know what i mean yes and that that happens a lot even to to the very end i think he 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 even deceived himself into thinking he was the wolf but his actions were really what everybody should look at and and to that point uh, the 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 uh the extreme christian mother that you know toes a very severe line in their house they're they're doing the same thing in a way they don't want to admit that they wear a wolf costume as they shepherd their children but their actions are what show that they that they are doing it they, they'll never admit it but I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of maybe what you're getting at here is this is the way that this family is run yes yeah Sorry for that sidetrack, but I mean it's important to address you know religion comes up a lot in true crime and and this is another one of those cases you know Jason and, and, and Joel are being raised in this household with their adoptive father and their biological mother. And uh, it, it's it's got that kind of Christian stranglehold on it, right? Now, around 1985, somewhere around 1985, back here in the United States, not in Alaska. I know that Alaska is a part of the United States. But in the main body of land here in the United States, Jason's biological father has impregnated another young lady. And, and Jason's half-biological sister... Angelina is born. And the only reason we're bringing her up is because she becomes very important later on in the story. Hmm. We're going to be hearing a lot from her. We're going to be hearing a lot from her uh, because uh, I've got a surprise for you. I, over the last couple of weeks, I have I have gotten in contact with Angelina, and I've spent a lot of time talking to her. Really? And texting. And I have I, I was I was uh, honored to, to get to interview her about well, this case. Really? And her and Jason wow. ended up getting close. Very, very, very close. <sighs> And before we, you know, later on in the story, periodically, we're going to bring her in and out and, and hear her, her viewpoints on certain aspects. But first, I want to get into, into how she met Jason. Okay. I think it's good for the listeners to know how you came in contact with Jason real quick, just so they have an idea of why we're not really delving into inter- interactions you had with him, you know, growing up. As a kid and how I was, yeah. yeah. So, long story short, we have the same father. Our father married their mother, Sandy. Our, our father's name is Gary Lanfear. Married their mother, Sandy Von Dorn, in, back in the day, in the 70s. And they had Joel, and then they had Jason a few years later. And then when Jason was about three, Gary had a an affair with a woman named Marietta. He left them and never really turned back. About seven years down the road, Jason and I are 10 years apart. He has an affair on Marietta with my mother. And mother, my mother said, hey, I'm pregnant. And he 
he said, peace out. I've got a wife. I've got a wife. I've got an ex-wife and two kids. I don't need this. And so I've never met the man. I've actually seen him in person one time. He spat in my husband's face and basically gave us the middle finger and told us to get out. So my brothers never knew about me. I knew that I had two half-brothers because my family, you know, it was a small town of Wyoming, knew who he was and knew that he had two sons. And they told me ever since I was could remember that I had two half-brothers. So for about 16 years, off and on, I would get on the Internet when the Internet became a thing. Yes, I'm not old. Those AOL instant um, messenger days? Remember those days? Oh, God, that is literally, <laughs> yes, AOL. I'm not even kidding you. Yes, so I would get on the Internet and I would start Googling my dad's name. And I didn't even know how to spell his last name. There's m- multiple different spellings. But, oh, you know, for 16 years off and on, I would search. And I could never, and I did not know that the, his wife was not my brother's mother. I, in my head, my two brothers had grown up with their dad and mom, my dad, and I didn't hate anybody. I wasn't mad at anybody. All I wanted to do was know them, to know what they looked like. Do they look like me? Like, you know, I did, that's all I wanted to know. And my mom passed away whenever I was six. So I didn't have an immediate family member my entire life growing up and that's that's really all I wanted and eventually in 2008 or 2017 2017 I was gonna say 18 but it's 2017 a ancestry.com ad came up and said yeah I want free 30 days and I was like fuck it I'm gonna do that and so I signed up for it and within three days I was chatting with Jason's half-brother I was chatting with Sandy and I was chatting with some of our cousins so and by that time he so by that time he was already he he was already he was kind of an up. internet legend. Yes, so he was locked up. He hadn't been sentenced yet. And that here's the fucked up thing is that I did not reach out like I was obviously heartbroken and could not like I I was devastated to find out like in shock and devastated to find out the story of what happened to my brothers. Joel, Justin, their half-brother, reached out to Joel and said, you know, and he had warned me ahead of time. He's like, he's a recluse. I don't know if that's, you know, if he's actually going to be okay, if he's going to be cool talking to you. But let me reach out to him and ask him if I can give you his information. Joel declined. So I cried about that. Actually, I wasn't expecting to be rejected. Yes. I wasn't expecting to be rejected. I didn't play that scenario in my head because all that I could think about as a kid who hadn't seen my dad, who hadn't seen... Why wouldn't so- you have a sister out there you've never known? Like, why wouldn't you want to see that person? Yeah. You have a daughter out there that you- and you've never had a daughter in your life. Why wouldn't you want to see what she looks like at the very least? Like, I wasn't expecting that. So that fucked me up for a while. And then the Jason thing, uh, there was two reasons that I didn't reach out to him right away. One was, the main reason was a selfish reason. He was all over the news. And I did not want to get, I did not know how much fan mail or how you know any of that that was going on I didn't want to get tossed into a pile amongst his fans or his supporters or whatever I wanted him to really take me seriously like I'm actually your blood sister and he was going you know going through sentencing and stuff like that and I didn't like I said I don't know what it's like to be in prison or jail or anything like that so I didn't know that literally you spend hours and hours every single day sitting there doing nothing and to have somebody support you would have been amazing so I regret this but then I also you know I also didn't want to take his mind off of the sentencing and all of that like that was my mentality 
So I had saved his court, whatever the court website where you can watch the whole case and what's going on with the case, court appellate, appellate, or whatever the word is. I bookmarked that. I would check it once a week. And every time he had a court date coming up, it would be, it would show it was postponed. I don't know what the, the word was that they used for it, but it was something that meant that it got, it got changed. It got pushed to another date. And so I was like so frustrated. This went on for months and months and months because November is when I found him, 2017, and here it is early 2018. Um, and I still don't know, you know, I don't, still don't know anything about him. And my cousin, our cousin on our dad's side had called me and asked for his address one day and said, hey, you know, um, I want to write Jason. Can you get me his address? And so I went to Google it. And that's when I found out that he had already been sentenced. This was April of 2018. He had been sentenced in February of 2018 to 23 years. And that's how I found out was on the phone with her. And that's when I sat down and I wrote a nine-page letter. I printed out my ancestry DNA tests and all the shit. And I mailed it to him. I printed out stacks of pictures of me from the earliest, you know, from when I was born up until current. My kids... So, you know, his nieces, um, all of that, wrote this big, long letter and was like, okay, and here's the waiting game. And then he called me. First night, I threw the phone across the room because I didn't realize it was him. Um, I thought it was some, you know, telemarketer or something. And my husband was like, you know, I was cussing at the thing because they had called me more than once. And I was like, what the hell? People don't yeah. leave you alone, these fucking bastards or, <laughs> you know, whatever I said. Or I, I think I actually rejected the call with a text message that said, fuck off or something. And Tristan, my husband, looked over at me and he was like, jeez, oh, Angelina, what if it was your brother? <laughs> Didn't even think that it could have been my brother. So I was like, whatever, not my brother. So I called the number back and sure enough, it was like the prison phone company or whatever. And I freaking started bawling and threw the phone across the room. Oh, well, I actually remember, didn't Jason have a job as a telemarketer at one point? Yes, he did. He did for two weeks, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of poetic, if you Rocker. think about it. Rocker, good point. He was calling me, trying to block me. Um, yeah, no. So then, so I set up my little prison, because like I said, I'd never done this before. I, I listened to the automated thing. It tells me I need to set up an account. So I do all of that, put money on it. And he called me the next night, and I'll never forget, I was drinking a beer, and I was so nervous, and I just picked up the phone, I'm pacing around in my, you know, in my dining room, and I was like, hello? And his first words to me were, you better answer the phone when your big brother calls you. So we've been best friends ever since. So now you've got a little bit of a backstory on Angelina. You know, now we know who she is, and uh, and we'll for the moment we'll let her step aside for a moment while we and and then we'll get to her in a minute. Good to go. Yeah. Wow, this is cool. So, 1987, Larry Fulton, the stepfather of Jason and Joel, starts molesting Jason. Jason is 12 years old at the time, and Joel is 16. Now he's he's molesting both of them. He's molesting Jason and Joel. Like I said, Jason is 12, Joel's 16. Through all this, their both parents are both claiming they're very religious. They're making the boys attend church services up to three times a week, every time the doors are open. And unfortunately, Larry uses religion as an excuse to to hold late night prayer services with Jason in order to molest him. So he'll he'll wake him up, you know, one two in the morning. It's time to pray, but pray really just means, hey, you're about to get molested again. Jeez, oh, and terrible. That's not how. I didn't read about that in the Bible. No. Oh, that's definitely not prayer service. 
in any religion that I'm aware of. So like I said, Larry's molesting Joel and Jason pretty regularly. Uh, unfortunately, it gets to the point where Jason, they slept in bunk beds, Joel and Jason did. Whenever the stepfather comes into the room, they will get their backs against the wall so that he can't reach them. And if whenever he does finally get get, get gets a hold of one of them, Joel, the other brother, volunteers to go first, hoping that, that Larry will be too tired after he's done with Joel to do whatever he's... So he's trying to protect Jason. His, the older brother's trying to protect Jason sometimes. God. So terrible. Larry's brutally molesting Joel and Jason without mercy under the guise of prayer. And not only is he molesting them, you need to keep in mind the mother knows that all this is going on the entire time, but Larry is also beating them regularly with a custom two by four that has a scribed handle and holes drilled through it. So like kind of like a uh, like what a paddle they like a, the paddle they would use in like it's middle cool. schools, right? Yeah. He also used belts. Jeez. Just what he he just really beat beat the hell out of them on a on a regular basis. The beatings were so frequent and so bad that the boys couldn't stand or sit for long periods of time. Jeez. So they're getting molested, they're oh, getting abused, gosh. they're getting beaten. And in 1988, Joel decides he's had enough. He runs away from home with a girlfriend to escape the abuse. Not long after that, he gets arrested as a runaway and, and tells the police everything that he was trying to escape. So he, he he just spills his guts to the cops. He's like, hey, yeah, I get it. I ran away from home, but you should probably hear me out for just a moment. I'm getting molested left and right. I'm getting beaten. My brother's getting beaten. The authorities are like, ah. They, like, look at their watches. <sighs> One officer looks at the other. He's like, hey, Chuck, <clears throat> we got 20 minutes to lunch. You want to just ride out there and, you know, get our fillers? The authorities ride out there and they question Jason. Jason lies about the severity of the situation, which isn't uncommon for a child. You know, you, you kind of want to protect your parents. These are his parents at the end of the day that they are raising him. But everybody, aside from the parents, of course, does say that, that Jason lies about the severity, how the the how bad the abuse is another thing that happens in those situations the good guy comes in and you know asks questions hoping that the good guy can get enough you know of a confirmation of what's going on that he could put do something but time has to always and will always pass between that first questioning the door has to close and that person has to leave and oftentimes the jasons of the world have to stay behind until you know things yes. can, things get baked. Yes, and nobody wants to snitch and then be still standing there at home with the person that you just snitched on. I think that's that's a very very real part of uh, abuse scenarios that we don't like to really think about. I'm getting ready to break your heart off. Oh man! In 1989, because of Jason's the what little Jason did tell the authorities, and because of what Joel Joel told the authorities. In 1989, Larry Fulton is found guilty of second-degree abuse of a minor. Now, this is 1989. Do you know how much it would take to actually bring charges? Like, in 1989, we were beating our kids with bricks and yeah, punching them in the mouth and knocking their teeth out and slinging them by their ankles against the bottom of an oak tree and putting them in, in sacks full of rocks <laughs> and tying it and throwing it in rivers because they didn't take the trash out. I lived in Tuskegee, Alabama. In 1995, and I did service at a at a at a at a element a middle school there, and they still used the paddle with the holes in it. They they literally used that yes. on kids still in '95. Crazy. So imagine how how bad the abuse is yeah. for them to actually bring charges on Larry, second degree abuse of a minor in 1989. Jeez. 
That being said, he gets a three-year suspended sentence and ends up serving no time in jail. Great. Just great. Sandy, Sandy will support Larry. Sandy, Jason and Joel's biological mother, will support Larry throughout the entire thing, all the way up until the day that Larry dies in 2016. Mm. Now, Joel is 17 at the time. Joel, Joel is at the time that Larry gets these abuse charges, and he refuses to go back to the house uh, and actually ends up in, in foster care until he's 18 years old. But guess what happens to Jason? Yeah, it's a go home. 13-year-old Jason. He has to go home. He has to go back to this uh, to this molesting, abusive piece of shit. And on top of that, Jason nor Joel ever received any kind of counseling whatsoever for their abuse. And the state never checked back in on them. And the mom was turning an absolute blind eye to it. Absolutely. Yes. This is yes, awesome. Yes. Amazing. Now, after Jeez. these abuse charges, Larry, like the like the likely coward that he was, you don't you don't find a lot about Larry. But what he does do is he he tucks his tail between his legs, packs his family up, which now consists of just Jason and Sandy, and moves them to Wasilla, Alaska, which is fifty miles away from Anchorage, where he had gotten the charges. So probably to start start anew for him, you know, he doesn't. Everybody he's already known now in this town as a pedo and a. A fucking pedophile and, and an abusive piece of shit, right? His his little Christian cover is blown, so he's got to get out of town. Interesting. This happened in 1989, right? At 1989. Yeah, in Alaska, 50 miles away from Anchorage, 1989. Do you know what is significant about the number 50 and the state of Alaska? Oh, God. What? What? It is Alaska became the 49th state mm-hmm. of the United States, which is really close to 50. Mm-hmm. Hawaii was 50th. Alaska, speaking of 1989, got its own quarter oh, God. in 2008. So... Nothing was set in place to keep Larry in check either. Not a thing. There was no... Oh, no, it was basically, hey, here's your kid that you were molesting and abusing back. The other one is so afraid that he's refusing to go back, he'd rather go in foster care. So nothing is set in place, no counseling. Like I said, Larry packs up the family, moves to Wasilla. Jason starts doing whatever he can to stay out of the house. And we all, I think, did this when we were a kid. Even if you we weren't getting abused, I wasn't getting abused, and I did whatever I could to stay out of the house just so I wouldn't have to take the garbage out. Yeah, yeah. He starts taking on odd jobs, bagging groceries, as well as working for hunting guides and commercial fishermen. Just does whatever he can. He 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 leaves the house early in the morning, comes back, comes home late at night, just to stay away from Larry as much as he can. Because none of this, at any point, you know, really completely stops. When Jason turns 16 years old, he runs away from home for the same reason that Joel did. And the way he does this, he, he slips out of his bedroom window late one night after a girlfriend talked. He 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 opened up to his then girlfriend at the time told her everything and she persuaded him hey you got to get out of there you know what me and you will run off we'll start a life together you don't have to put up with that anymore and jason being 16 years old with dreams of you know how fantasies are when you're 16 like that's just the way things work right you yeah we can make that happen yeah you're 16 and you're like geez i have a dream of never being molested again that's really all you're thinking about is just what i can just go 10 miles away and never have a finger in me again yeah that sounds just way better than than what's happening sign me up so the next day after he, he slips out in the night runs away with his girlfriend the next day he comes back 
tries to get his stuff, right? He's thinking, I'm going to get my probably my baseball mitt and a few scholastic books, probably, and maybe yeah. a skateboard, I'm guessing. And uh, the, I don't have any factual information that these things are all there. Probably, I don't know, a Denver Broncos jersey. Well, if he's 16 and he's anything like me, grabbed that pencil box full of scented shape erasers. Because who leaves home without that, all right? But whenever he gets there to get his belongings, the rest of his stuff, he finds all of his belongings in bags and trash bags on the front yard, on the front lawn. And it wasn't even Larry that had done this. It was Sandy, his mother. How dare he try to get away from the molestations and the abuse? How dare he? Oh, man, I've got so much I could say about people like that. So, oh, it gets better. So when Jason says, that's nice, thanks, Mom, she will, she refuses to let him in the house. And when he says, I'll get out of your hair, I'll leave you alone, you never have to see me again. All I need is my birth certificate, my Social Security card, my ID. I just need those three things, and you never have to worry about me again. She absolutely refuses and responds with, we aren't going to facilitate your flight into sin. Ooh. Hey, a question really quick. Has anyone taken her out yet? She is still alive and doing well. Sandy is still alive to this day. Well. Larry, however, is dead. He died in 2016. Praise Jesus. She's a piece of crap, and I hope she hears this. Oh, I'm sure she will. She's a piece of crap. So he uses, he, he chips in with his girlfriend, his girlfriend at the time. They use money that they had saved up from odd jobs. Uh, they sell his girlfriend's truck, and him and his girlfriend decide they're going to start life over in Spokane, Washington. And this is, like I said, the early 1989, 1990, 1991, early, late 80s, early 90s. You don't need an ID. This is before Osama bin Laden came along and fucked that up. Now you have to have get yeah. anal cavities. You have to get molested now to get on a plane. That's Isn't that crazy? You want to know something funny. So Osama happens, 9-11 happens, and then a little while later, somebody tries to blow up a bomb, uh, a plane with their shoe, right? So I'm on business trips like all the time at this point in my life, and I'm in an airport. We're all shucking our shoes off like idiots because the TSA is reactionary and not proactive. You know, they're like, oh, what they use this week? Oh, glasses? Oh, sorry, nobody with glasses can come on a plane anymore. So we're all taking our shoes off like idiots. And I look over to the guy next to me and I'm like, hope nobody ever tries to blow up a plane with their underwear. Uh-oh. And everybody chuckles. <laughs> and then like a month later, the underwear bomber happens. And I'm like, oh, great. Here, here we go. I digress, though. So they make it to Spokane, Washington. They're young. They're young. They have very little money. Him and his girlfriend immediately get a shitty little apartment in Spokane, and, and they also purchase a cheap motorcycle. It's it's the best they could do with what little money they had. I already feel horrible for these two. They have absolutely nothing. And Jason gets a job as a telemarketer for two weeks. Good worker, mm. apparently. Good worker. Went to work. First priority when he got to Washington. Spokane was get a job, like a contributing good member of society. Now, you, you, it's important to keep in mind that up until this point, Jason has never committed even so much as a misdemeanor. Despite his horrible fucking upbringing, still on the straight and narrow in terms of being a productive member of society. Right? Wow. That's important to note. Good good for him. First, day, first, yeah. first payday comes around for his job as a telemarketer. The employer calls Jason into his office, tells him, hey man, we can't give you a check because you don't have a social security card or an ID of any kind and you haven't provided it and we're not legally allowed to pay you until you give us those things. Oof. Oh, that's hard. He has no way of getting them. Quits his job because what's the point? Not going to work for free. 
And after that, he couldn't get a job because he had no form of ID. So now they're stranded in Washington, in Spokane, Washington, Jason and his girlfriend. Fun fact to know and share, just just in case there's any 16-year-olds out there listening that are in exactly this situation, but only in that situation because I don't want to give a bunch of 16-year-olds ideas. Do you know Do you know the way that how he could have actually done this to to that to this point in his life how he could have gotten out there and then ended up with his own id and all that do you know what he could have done how he could have emancipated in most states in the u.s uh, the age where you're capable of emancipating away from your parents is 16 that's probably true but i think if you take into account how quickly uh, it was kind of desperation this wasn't like a planned out this was a i'm done with this I'm going to start my life over. Well, and this and is at a, 16. I couldn't. This is a teenager. Yeah, it's not like I'm just yes. saying. You know, he just took his bags, jumped on a plane with his girlfriend, yeah. and flew to Spokane, Washington. It's on another island. You know what I mean? Like they left the plot of land. This isn't just. Yeah. Now there's an ocean dividing him and his and his yeah, parents. Exactly. Which may be why he did that. Now that I think about it, even there's probably a certain level there psychologically. Where he's putting barriers between him, himself, and his abuse. Well, okay, Th- think think as a 16-year-old for a second. When you were 16, no 16-year-old is sitting in Kentucky or where I live or anywhere and going, Oh, man, one more time, I'm going to Spain. Like what was what was the place? Like what was what was literally Pluto in your mind, but still attainable? Like what? How far? How far did you want to go if you were going to be away from your current world when you were sixteen? Do you think? Like what? Where would you? How far <sighs> away? How far away is that? For me, it was. I was like, I'll go to Salt Lake. You'll never see me again. It's probably uh, movie warehouse. Okay. Yeah, because they don't go there. It was about or? nine miles. It was about nine miles from my okay. grandparents' I house. S- but I really loved loved movie warehouse. I could have just got yeah. an apartment. Buy a movie warehouse. It was like our redneck version of a blockbuster. Yeah, I just love the smell of the plastic, the VHS cases and the DVD cases and the posters on the walls and the popcorn. Yeah, and yeah probably yeah. movie warehouse. It's not Utah. No, it also isn't. Uh, or, where, where did you say? I, I said Utah. I was going for like you know. Yeah, it's it's no Utah. It's also really not an answer, but you know we tried. Okay, the roller rink in Berea. Twenty miles away, thirty miles away. A little better, a little better. Was there was there like an outhouse, or were there any outbuildings there, where they kept extra kids or roller skates or anything? No, Berea is a very very modern town. Okay. There hasn't been any racism there hmm. since the eighties. Since the late eighties, okay. you know. Let's go with that. Let's say Berea for you. Documented. Okay. Good. Figure that. Figure that out. Okay. All right. So Jason and his girlfriend are living in this. Shitty rundown apartment. He's just been he he well he quit his job because what's the point if I'm not getting paid? His uh, girlfriend is also probably working some kind of small job. If I had to guess, probably a gas station, something like. They're just doing what kids that are alone entirely, entirely. They have nothing but each other, whatever they can to to scrape by. People say they've scraped the bottom of the barrel before. This is their apartment doesn't have any furniture. Wow, it doesn't have anything in it. Jeez. They're sitting, and I say that because it's it's actually noted. This is what leads to Jason's first crime, the first crime in his life, op, the first crime in his entire mm. life. He's a he's a teenager. He's away from home, and and they're eating in the in the living room floor of their apartment. Him and his girlfriend, and he's eating, and he realizes 
His his stomach probably starts growling, right? I don't know what they were eating. Maybe Taco Bell. Maybe it was just like Hungry Man. Dinners. Dinners in the microwave. But regardless, he's like, oh, no, we don't have any toilet paper. Oh, no. They don't have any money for toilet paper. And this is really sad, dude. They, he, he gets on his motorcycle, puts his helmet on, drives to the gas station on his motorcycles, goes into the bathroom, and unrolls toilet paper and puts it underneath his helmet, puts it on top of his head and sets his helmet on top. Wow. And steals toilet paper because they didn't even have money to buy a roll of toilet paper. Jeez. On the way back from the gas station, back to his apartment, he's like feeling like a million dollars. He's got some toilet paper, you know. He passes a fancy ass, one of them fancy ass gyms, probably a Planet Fitness or whatever the... 1990 version of that is Planet Berea. I don't know if Planet. Yeah, and he thinks to himself, "I bet there's there's lockers in there. People have to take their wallets and stuff out, put in the lockers. Uh, We're literally starving to death. Yeah. We have no furniture. I've gonna have to do something." The next day, he goes to that gym, asks for a free trial. Hey, can you care if I walk out here for the day? Do you can do that Planet Fitness? They're like, yeah, as long as you don't set off our lunk alarm. Do you know that Planet Planet Fitness has a fucking lunk alarm op? Do you know what a lunk alarm is? No, what's that? Talk about body shaming. Planet Fitness is one of these progressive ass, like new age businesses, you know, where hashtag blah, 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 whatever. The lunk alarm is a thing. If you're too masculine, if you're too into your workout, Mm. if you maybe drop the weights a little too hard, if you grunt too hard while you're lifting, yeah. it sets off, and it, the lunk alarm is employee-triggered. They push a button, and it sets off a th- lots, like literal lots, like what's on the ambulance across the top, and it goes, and you set off the lunk alarm, and it's put there specifically to embarrass you. Really? That's the purpose. Yes, and it has underneath it written, lunk alarm. It's written on the wall. Wow. So you, you're called a lunk. You're a lunk. Oh, jeez. So it's kind of This is the same like, business that's not about shaming, right? It's like the roller rink DJ who would call you out by name if you were screeching your wheels on the roller rink to going too fast. Yes, only there's actual mechanical means here to embarrass you. So. Wow. And also they have like pizza day and shit, candy sitting outside. Fuck Planet Fitness. I could do a whole episode on how shitty Planet Fitness is. Yeah. That's poopy of them. And I've been trying to get out of that membership for two years. Good luck with that. That's like trying to get off that call list for your insurance is expiring on your car. Like, that, you're, you're joining a cult when you join that piece of shit business. Fuck Planet Fitness. I hope they all burn oh. down. And I just want to say that all this anger and rage that you're, you're hearing from me, I've never yeah. set off the lunk alarm. I have seen the lunk alarm set off. I've never set it off. Okay. And just seeing somebody else set it off that's trying to get in some good reps pissed me off that they would do that. Because <laughs> it's always some feeble little fucking worm that's up there operating the, the button, right? Some, like, nerd that probably... Yeah, it's, it's manually triggered. Could, it's not like... lift a 45-pound dumbbell. Yeah, it's not like the dumbbell impact on the ground triggers it, or your grunt triggers it. It's some guy flipping a switch, which is terrible. Yeah, and it just feels like this this dynamic here feels like the nerd getting back at, yeah. at this guy that, you know, this... This, like, beta yeah. <laughs> is, like, getting back all this frustration because he never gets laid on this good-looking, muscular dude. That's what it feels like. It's just, like, this weird dot. I hate Planet Fitness. It's lunk-shaming, if we're being honest. Sorry, I'm, my face is hot. Yeah. My face is hot. <laughs> you seem angry. Yeah. About to turn on the alarm. The dog shit business. I can't wait till they sink. Oh, Pizza? 
They serve pizza. People are coming there to get in shape. They're serving pizza and candy. And it's like, you should accept your body, body positivity. Then why the fuck are you opening a gym, you dumb bitch? Like, why do you have a gym? They're like, you, you, there's no fat shame in here. Like, what? You're so, you're contradicting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of passion uh, there. I think I'm I'm getting angry and hot faced about this because I like to imagine that this is a Planet Fitness, and anybody that is stupid enough to pay the subscription to be a part of this Planet Fitness can go fuck themselves for what's getting ready to happen uh, right now. Because Jason goes in, takes that one day free trial of his gym, goes straight back to the locker room, starts going through the lockers, and finds a wallet. Hey, and I don't feel I don't. This doesn't make me mad at him. This is somebody that is literally starving. Him and his girlfriend are like. In this wallet, he finds close to eight hundred dollars. Jeez, that's in a, a lot wallet. of cash. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's a lot of cash to have in a wallet. He thinks they're rich, and that that's such a a, a seventeen, eighteen year old frame of mind, isn't it? Eight hundred dollars. Yeah. We're rich. All our problems are solved. Right. Yeah. We never have to worry about anything ever. We have eight hundred dollars. Nobody can resist a guy with eight hundred dollars. And if they're like, anything no. like me, when you get eight hundred dollars <laughs> and you're that age, you're like, do you know how many quarters that is? <laughs> They take that $800, they fill their fridge up with groceries. They're responsible with it. Yeah. They get some cheap furniture. It's it's important to note that that he does say it's, it was cheap furniture. And they get groceries. And they thought they were rich. They finally got furniture. They got a place to sit. They're not sitting on the floor in the living room. They've got groceries. Their bellies are full, probably for the first time since they left Alaska. Jeez. And what this is, what, the, what happens with this in Jason's mind is now there's this positive, this crime paid off drastically. He's went his whole life down this straight and narrow road, this, and and now all this suffering that he was going through was magically cured with one crime. And what is that going to do in the mind of any young man, any young woman, at such a young age? It makes them convert their mental thinking to be naughty positive. Yes, and that's precisely what happened. This is the turning point for Jason. This is when he resorts to crime, primarily because of that, you know, that big that big score in such a, a small period of time and also because he can't literally he can't get a job he doesn't have the documentation to get a job now not long after this him and his girlfriend break up and this is a point Jason is is single he's he's still living a pretty shitty existence and doing nothing but crime and he says quote my silent understanding was that I was worthless a throwaway the foundations laid in my youth never went away which is pretty sad huh pretty sad. Now, five months after arriving in Spokane, he is arrested and sent to juvenile hall for nine months for theft and forging checks. So as you can see, the thing, it escalated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. We went from a still in the locker room of a gym to theft and forging checks. Yeah. Shortly after quickly. being released from that little stint, he was arrested again and he was terrified that he was going to be sent home to Alaska, which is telling. He doesn't give a shit about what happens to him, whether it be prison, whether it be jail, he just doesn't want to go back home. He doesn't want to go back to, to Larry and Sandy. When he's 18 years old, he's arrested for driving without a license. And shit goes pretty much downhill dramatically after he turns 18. And and Jason, unfortunately, spends the next 15 years in and out of jail and prison for things like drug charges, fraud, theft, B&E, all the normal kind of criminal criminal stuff. Nothing out of nothing outlandish, really. Just a way to uh, a hustler. Yeah, you know, like uh, a Grand Theft Auto character from the game Grand Theft Auto. Really, 
it's weird that he would you know. do all these things there because did you know that Spokane, geographically speaking, is actually the sunny side of the state of Washington? Geographically, like the, the, Washington is is well known for being rainy and gray. Spokane is actually the sunny side. Actually, Spokane itself means children of the sun in the native language of the people. So it's weird that he would be this kind of a criminal in such a sunny place. You don't think people commit crime? Have you ever seen videos from Brazil up? No. Is that a movie? I'm going to send you a website after we get done recording here. No, there's a country called Brazil, sunny as hell, warm. I can send you a million videos of people getting beheaded, people getting their brains blown mm. out, people getting macheted in the street. Yeah. I can't believe, in your head, sun equates to not committing crimes. What? That is the most Caucasian thought process I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. It's true, though. What do you mean it's... No, hold on. We're not just going to fucking step away from... I'm not just going to jump. It's true. You just say that, and then... It's true, because think about it. You're standing by that. You're standing by... You're standing by your original statement. When... Do you know anybody with seasonal depression? He shouldn't be committing these crimes because it's sunny. No, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. He's committing these crimes up because it's sunny? Because it's... He, he shouldn't be yeah. committing these crimes because it's sunny? Yes. How do you counteract seasonal depression? You get a, a UV lamp for your room. It basically gives you sunlight. He doesn't have seasonal depression up. He was molested for for a decade. Let me ask you this. This isn't fucking, I'm sad. I hate that I'm in this office. Let me ask you this. It's awful groggy out. What, what time was... The sun doesn't take away the pain in your ass. What time was prayer service in their house? Answer, riddle me that. What, what time? I don't know. When like it, two in the morning. Nope. Like two in the morning. Where's the sun? Where's the sun at two a.m.? Oh my God! You can see where I'm. You see, uh, you don't want to go down. Fuck? You don't want to go down the path of logic yeah. with me. But you checkmate. You kay. got me. All right. You got we can me. Move on. Yeah, checkmate. Right. So, you motherfucker. Uh, mm. Sometime in that, sometime in that fifteen years that he spends in and out of jail and prison. Like I said, he, he spends the next 15 years in a, from the time he's 18, the next 15 years, he's in and out of jail and prison uh, for things like drug charges, fraud, theft. He, he At some point in that, he also gets married and has two kids. And he tries to stay in contact with his kids best he can, but the life of a criminal, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes means that your relationships are shattered very commonly. My father was one of those that was in and out of jail. Uh, I remember going to talk to him behind the glass and you just can't be that close. But on June 24th, 2016, Jason's released from prison. He's done a stint in prison. He goes back to Anchorage, Alaska. And when he gets there, he has nobody. He has nothing. He's alone. He's jobless. And I think he's he's kind of, he's got nothing to lose. He's big. He's a big dude, six foot two. He's muscular. He's healthy. And I don't think he ever made a conscious decision Hey, I'm going to be a superhero. I think it was just like, I'm bored and I've always wanted revenge. That being said, this story, everybody calls him the Alaskan Avenger. I think this is more of a gritty Quentin Tarantino Robin Hood story. Yeah, I can see that. That's how Tarantino would spin this. Like, victim of pedophilia, grows up, becomes a big, healthy... Bear Jew. Bear Jew. Yeah. And then takes from the rich and gives to the poor, which we'll find out what he does with the stolen possessions. Okay. 
So there's a lot of disputes on how he gets the names of these pedophiles, depending on the article that you read, depending on, on where you hear it. Some will say that he got them from the sex offender registry, which you can get online. Moms and fathers that are listening to this, you should be aware that you can type in the address of your home in the sex offender registry, and it will show a Google map of listed sex offenders in your area on red bubbles. You can get their names, see a picture of them, their faces, their addresses, their charges. It has all the information. It's a very valuable tool so that you can keep an eye out and keep your kids, prevent your children from being molested. How close uh, How close the closest one for, for you? Do you know? Literally like a, a quarter of a mile, if that. Really? Yeah. Oof. And I don't even live in a bad neighborhood. I live in a pretty good neighborhood, and it looks like chicken pox on the map when you type in my address. Yeah, I've never, I've never looked it up on mine. Huh? I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't want. I don't know if I want to know. I do want to know. I'll look it up. <laughs> so while you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and say we're, we're going to turn to Angelina, and we're going to go in with her a little bit about. How he got, he has a list of eight names. Eventually, he ends up being nine. We'll go into how he got that ninth name. But the list initially has eight names, and he did not get it from the sex offender registry. He did not get it from inmates in prison, which is what some stories report. But let's turn to Angelina. Okay. The stuff that is being reported or has been reported in the past on the news is not always accurate. The the thing was, he didn't find these people on the sex offender registry. He did not go on there and look and look for pedophiles on the sex offender registry. What he did was he had just recently got back to Anchorage and he was obviously in the underground thug community and, you know, these gangsters, they do not snitch on each other. They don't snitch on anybody. Uh, It doesn't matter what's going on. And so he, you know, people start talking about these pedophiles in the community and he starts writing their names down and they were being reported as actively, actively, currently being pedophiles and sexually molesting people. Damarist wasn't actually, he wasn't being reported as he was, like there wasn't a, this person is reporting that he's molesting him or whatever, but he was, he is a registered sex offender who, um, you know, works at the, coaches some kids or his, he's, you know, a teacher at the youth place and whatever but the other two were being reported specifically this person is doing this currently and so when he went to and he had he actually had eight names he, he ended up with nine names at the end of it all but to begin with he had eight names and he went to the library got on the computer to start looking these people up and to find out where they lived and anything he could find about them and majority of these people were already previous offenders and registered on the registry now we're back. As Angelina mentioned, he gets these names pretty much by eavesdropping around the neighborhood, hanging out in Anchorage. You know, criminals talk. Like she said, they're not snitches, but they, they talk a lot. You know, they, they, they know the word on the street, and they're talking about pedophiles. And this is the way that Jason gets the initial eight names of pedophiles around the neighborhood. I see. It should be stressed because I know a lot of them are Reddit boys and girls that like to be so fancy pants on there and... Talk about how triggering triggering everything is and how offensive everything is and blah, 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 blah. They like to talk about how he didn't know. He didn't know what the what crimes that he absolutely knew. He knew every he knew what all of these men did. These weren't people that had been, you know, accused of pulling their dick out because they were drunk at a Taco Bell and pissing in the parking lot. They didn't end up on the sex offender registry like that. 
These weren't yeah. 18, 19, 19 year olds that slept with a 17 year old and, and got slammed with a whatever charge. These are the these are the bad guys. These are the worst of the worst. These are literal middle aged men preying on children. That's what that's what these these are. So let's go ahead and put that to sleep right now. He was aware of he, he these targets were picked and they were picked for being monsters. Okay? Okay. Sorry, I'm a little distracted. I just found one down the road. You found a whole bunch of pedophiles in your area, didn't you? I just found one, but according to the map Well you also live in a in a like a, a wide open space. It's way out in the middle yes. of nowhere. Uh, you don't yeah. have a lot of neighbors. This guy's like standing in the middle of the road, according to the map. So I'm just going to leave him there. I'm going to leave him there. That's where he needs to be. You just leave him yeah. there, up. Creepy. Now, you're probably wondering how we went about getting this Noth name. Yes. Right? Uh, later in the story, whenever he's on his way to attack a pedophile, he runs into a gang. And they're, they're, they initially, they want to fight him. They're like, hey, punk, what are you doing here? Blah, 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 blah. Gang talk, gang talk, gang sign. Here's a Glock. Pop a cock. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Rap battle. Jason's like, you need to back up, home skillet. I'm here to beat the fuck out of pedophiles. And the gang goes, oh, shit, son. We also hate pedophiles. <laughs> you may pass. <laughs> By the way, if you're looking for another pedophile that is actively pedophiling, here is another name. And then they gave Jason a name and they let him pass their bridge. It's interesting to me that the gang had a, a pedophile's name on file. You know, like, what should we do with this name? I don't know. Hold on to it. Who's keeping our back pocket? Might come in handy one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they handed him like a, it wasn't like a printout. of Like, it didn't have like a face and everything on it. Like, oh, I'll just keep this on me just in case we run into a pedophile punisher. You know, like Jason's how- not walking around with a, in a black shirt with a white skull <laughs> on the front of the chest or anything. It's just, hey, let's beat that but- guy's ass. And then he's like, no, don't beat my ass. I could probably whoop all your asses at the same time. And on top of that, I don't want no trouble, fool. I just want to beat up pedophiles. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we also hate pedophiles. <laughs> By the way, here is another one. Here is when we printed off a map quest. Here, because that is one thing that that is really reuniting. You know, no matter whether you're conservative or liberal or or black or white or or atheist or Christian or or whatever is, we all hate pedophiles, and that's beautiful. We do, we do. Oof. Now Jason's got this list of of eight names at the moment. He's he's fresh out of prison, and I think he's kind of at a bucket point. He's got this list. He's at a fuck it point, and and on that, on that, I would like to go back to Angelina for a minute. Do you think that when he got out of prison in 2016, because if I'm not mistaken, he he hit up Charles Albee, the first one, the day he got out of prison, yes, correct? Like it was like almost the day or the day after or something. Do you think that it was kind of, he was at a point in his life at that point where he was like, fuck it? You know, like, just whatever happens, happens, I'm going to do this, and then if it ends up and, you know, me eventually getting shot or... Yeah, uh, well, uh, here's the deal. His, he, you know, he, he was married previously, and he has two children. Yes, ma'am. So they were married or together. No, I don't remember exactly how many they were married, if it was like 12, and they were together for 17, something like that. But they were, something about 17 years. They were together for 17 years, had two children, and... You know, they had their falling out, and they didn't talk to, you know, it, it, he was able to talk to the kids 
for a certain amount of time, and eventually she just completely cut that off. So he didn't have contact with his kids. He didn't have a wife. He didn't. He the three parents that he had. He had his biological mother, our biological father, and his stepfather. Okay, he had those three parents, which is more than most people have. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And all all of their families behind that. Each parent has a full ass family unit that goes behind it. Not a single fucking one of those people ever went to my brother's side or tried to. You know, be a part of his life, help him, support him, ask him, are you okay? Nobody did. So he had nothing. Sandy actually, Sandy stuck by Larry's side up until the day he died in 2016, didn't she? Yes. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. All right, and we're back. So, Jason's got his list. He has a goal in mind, and he wastes almost no time putting it into action. He picks up his pit bull. And some reports say that night that he was released from prison. Some say that day or that next night. So it's either the day of or the day after. He, he had a pit bull that he picked up. Somebody was keeping it, I guess, while he was in prison. He shows up at the doorstep of the first name on the list, 69-year-old Charles Lemon Albee. And he shows up at 9.30 in the morning. Now, while he's beating on the door, the pit bull is circling the perimeter of the house viciously. It's wow. almost like it knows what's up, what it's there to do. My goodness. Which is pretty badass. Now, in 2003, Charles had been charged with second-degree sexual assault of a minor. You'll also notice that Jason also targets people that have taken advantage of positions of power over children. So it's mm. often, a lot of the names on the list were maybe police officers, maybe school, school teachers, maybe maybe people that were were in a position where they had maybe daycare workers. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Jason beats on the door at 930 in the morning. And when Charles opens the door, Jason just kind of pushes inside and orders his ass to sit on the bed. Now, immediately the man, this pedophile, I'm just going to call him the pedophile because that's all he deserves. The pedophile sits down on the bed and Jason just starts bitch slapping his punk ass. Just pop, pop like a pimp, you know, Mm. they call it the pedo pimp slap. I think is what they called it. If Jason had an action figure across the bottom on the sticker, on the action figure would say, comes with awesome pedo pimp slap action. So he just open-handed, this is a big man, six foot two, just whack, whack. I don't think they would say comes with pedo pimp slap action. I think they would probably say included is Including pedo, is pimp, pedo slap pimp slap action. And it's got a little yeah, they don't wanna, knob on the back. They're, they're, yeah. yeah, they're not going to say comes with... And pedo in the same. C-O-M-E-S. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jason, after he slaps him a few times, he tells him, I'm here because you're a pedophile. Just so there's no confusion, I'm here (laughs) because you're a pedophile. You have a debt to pay, and you're about to pay it. Jason steals several items, uh, valuable electronics, jewelry, in some cases bags of of coins, Mm. and then leaves. And on on what happens, I really want to drive home what happens with these stolen possessions because this is another thing that people kind of skip over. I don't know if it's not because if it's because the information isn't out there or if it's because they didn't really do the research. But let's go to Angelina for what happens with these stolen possessions in all cases. Because of the fact that, correct me if I'm wrong, and I've heard varying reports on on what exactly happened with the with the possessions that he took from uh, Albie Barbosa and Demarest, but. Um, he did give those. He gave the, he gave those stolen possessions to to battered women. Correct. Yes. So, in fact, 
this this story and I can't give too much on it because we have a book and a documentary deal in the works right now but the story man and I had just heard it in detail for the first time I want to say probably two to four weeks ago is the first time I even heard this story in the detail that he told it and I literally teared I cried like I actually cried listening to him recount taking this mother who was a drug addict lived in a trailer park with her two kids she was single and being like listen I got this I got this donated for you and he basically held the held the man and grabbed, grabbed the man's wallet and said listen point out which credit card and how much money you're going to authorize me to give a you know a, a single mom so she can buy her kids clothes and he pulled out two different credit cards and he said $500 on this one $500 on this one and then there was some bags of silver dollars in these crown royal bags that Jason took and also gave to them and he said we went to this coin star and he was like we're standing there with all these bags and like it was so like we were so obnoxious with all these bags of freaking silver dollars trying to and and then just watching her and these kids walk around this walmart and be able to buy school clothes and toys like he was like it was unreal and you say that he kept them in a crown royal bag the 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 guy that he took them from the guy that he took them from there are silver silver dollars that he would keep them in and there are are multiple crown crown royal royal bags from what i understand do you remember if it was albie barbosa or demarest which one do you do you but you probably don't remember so here's know because when he tells me these stories he cannot he cannot name these people it's illegal for him to say their names okay okay so, isn't that such like a pedophile thing to do keep stuff in a crown royal bag <laughs> i know top three containers that pedophiles keep things in crown royal bag <laughs> is at the top of the list probably right next to a cigar box you know what i'm gonna say about that is you said i don't know if the information out there or not i'm gonna go ahead and just say it here you heard it here first folks we broke the story on that so broken here prove us wrong broken here through the words of angelie angelina's mouth so those stolen possessions that he takes from what would have been all three but the, the two he gets caught on the third one the two are all given to rape survivors, rape victims, abuse shelters, and needing families. He donates all of it, every bit of it. Wow! So he's literally a Robin Hood with Robin this Hood. Stuff. That's what. That's why I said Robin Hood. That's that's what he does. He he literally takes from these pedophiles and then distributes this stuff back into the community. The only downside that I can see to this is him with a good heart stealing a pedophile's laptop that's chock full of child porn and then yeah. accidentally giving it to a victim of pedophilia. <laughs> yeah, that I could see that blowing up in your face. But he has the best of intentions. He does. And Jason himself says at one point, I wouldn't take a single dollar from a pedophile and keep it myself. I don't want anything from them. He just wants them to be afraid. He wants them to feel the fear. He wants yeah. them to know what that feels like. I will say he lived his life that way. He didn't take anything from the pedo that raised him. Just walked out. Yes. You know? Yes. Now, two days later, on June 26, 2016, Jason and two unidentified women arrived at the apartment of Andreas E. Barbosa, who was 25 years old, and they got there at 4 in the morning. Now, Barbosa had been charged with multiple counts of child pornography in 2014. So this guy, he just has a whole lot of child porn. And it takes a... There's something gross about when you hear somebody charged with child porn because you know they've had to like nobody has ever been charged with child porn and been like 
Oh, I didn't know. I thought they were, you know, uh, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't These aren't know. my pants. Oh, shit. <laughs> those people are underage? Like, what? they've had to either, A, they've taken the photos themselves, the videos themselves. Mm-hmm. Or, B, they've had to search it out. They've had right. to go to the dark corners of the internet in search of this. So he's caught with a whole bunch of child pornography. Little bitty kids. Mm. Terrible. Jeez. So at four in the morning, Jay, he, he unfortunately for Barbosa, fortunately for everybody else in the world, he's ended up on Jason's list, and he's going to be the second victim. Jason knocks at four in the morning. And it's also important to note that Jason always verifies and makes sure that this is his guy. He knows their name. Barbosa answers the door. Jason says, are you Andreas E. Barbosa? And he's like, yes, I am. And he probably doesn't go into super detail. He's probably not like, the same Andreas Barbosa that was charged with child pornography in 2014. And he's like, that was me, three gigabytes. Yes. Yeah, it's 4 a.m. You keep your questions to a minimum. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, he's not. He's tired. He's not ready to talk about the porn, the child right, pornography. That's definitely like 9 a.m. He just gets a quick check. Yeah, you're the guy that I'm looking mm. for. The second that Andreas agrees, yes, I am Andreas Barbosa. Jason forces himself into the house just like he did the first time, only this time he's got a hammer. Now, a lot of hero drawings that you'll see of Jason, he has a hammer. That's his weapon, his Avenger weapon. Mm -hmm. But he forces himself into the house wielding a hammer and immediately makes him sit in a chair. And he's not fucking around with this one. The second Andreas sits down in the chair, Jason starts beating the hell out of him with his fists. So he he knocks him around a little bit. He doesn't use the, uh, what did I call it, the the power pimp slap. Yeah, he didn't. The pedo pimp pedo slap. Pimp slap. He didn't use the pedo pimp slap. He used the he used the pedo power punch. Okay. So that's another action. That's what the left arm does. The right arm of this action figure does the pedo pimp slap. The other one is the pedo power punch. Yes. And the hand is formed in a way so you can slip the hammer into it. Like it's just formed yes. in like a, it's holding pattern. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. He knocks him around a little bit, threatens to cave his dome in with the hammer and lets him know simply that he's there to collect what was owed so there's no questioning you're a pedophile and you're about to pay this neighborhood you haven't paid enough and we'll find out in a little bit none of them paid nearly enough one of the females that was with him keep in mind the pit bull is patrolling the outside of the house the two females went in with him one of them filmed the attack on her cell phone while the other helped him steal the valuables in the home that uh, footage is unfortunately unavailable because of police records and sealed in an evidence locker somewhere. Hmm. Then they stole Andrea Barbosa's truck and left, and we actually went into what happened with his truck, with that truck that they took in, in Angelina's little piece there. Now, the final attack, that happens on June 29, 2016, and the victim, I use that word very lightly, victim, mm-hmm. the pedophile, his name is Wesley Demarest. Wesley had been charged earlier in 2016 with sexual abuse of a minor under the age of 13. So, could have been six, could have been five, could have been eight. He done something bad with with a with an actual a child, a little child. At the time, Demarest is running what is possibly a bed and breakfast. That Jason nor Angelina are sure on why there's a, why there's a young couple there that aren't related to Demarest, but there is a young couple staying there. They speculate Demarest at the time is running a bed and breakfast. But that being said, Demarest is sleeping on June 29, 2016, when one of his visitors wakes him up at 1 a.m. saying that they heard somebody smash a window. On their way back to their room that they were staying in, they meet Jason Voorhees in the yeah. <laughs> in the hallway holding a hammer, Jeez. holding a big-ass hammer. Yeah. 
Jason sees them. Now, keep in mind, Jason did go on the sex offender registry to get pictures and information of these guys, but that's not how he got their names. Mm. So he knows what his target looks like. He sees these two in the hallway and tells them, go back to their room. He's not there for them. Then he barges into Wesley Dermarest's room and tells him to get down on his knees. Wesley refuses. This this old pedophile has a little bit of fight in him because Jason's like, okay, well, then lie down on the bed. Wesley refuses. And that's at this point, Jason says, I'm an avenging angel, and I'm here to mete out justice for the people that you've hurt. Which is a pretty badass line. That's like a it good is. line in a, yeah. In this movie that I'm sure they'll undoubtedly make at some point. Hopefully it's not directed by Michael Piece of Shit Bay. <laughs> Everything's just exploding. He, he kicks the door open and it explodes into a million pieces. Ben Affleck's in the background for some goddamn reason. Jason's a droid. <laughs> yep. Guagu Gigaga. Roll out. For some reason, the plant there's a plane in the sky that just explodes, just <laughs> explosions for no reason. Everything just explodes. The pit bull outside explodes. <laughs> Everything explodes. Jason says, I'm an avenging angel, and I'm here to mete out justice for the people you've hurt. Upon saying this, I guess Wesley gets a little... He's a bad guy, so I guess this is his cue, right? Technically, like, oh, this is where I'm supposed... But he does. He attacks Jason upon hearing this. And starts punching him. He goes fisticuffs. Wow. Bold. Goes fisticuffs with this massive man. Jason hits him with the hammer a couple times. The first blow hits him in the collarbone. And then he just starts banging his head in with the hammer repeatedly over and over and over until until Wesley goes unconscious. Probably thinking he killed him. He steals the valuables like he had the previous two houses, including a laptop, and, and leaves. Not long afterwards, Wesley wakes up in a pool of his own blood and finds that the roommates are those that young couple staying at what is possibly a bread and breakfast have already informed the police and 911 is on the way. Jason gets into the escape vehicle. It's a Honda Civic. Starts making his way down the street with the lights off. The second he cuts the lights on, the police meet him at the street at the end of the street pull him over, and they've kind of got him dead to rights because inside the car they find the hammer, the stolen possessions from Wesley's house, and a notebook with the names of pedophiles in it. Mm. Not to mention the two that had been previously attacked the last couple days. Crossed out, probably. <laughs> yeah. With a skull <laughs> beside him. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, he, you know, he called himself the Avenging Angel, and everybody calls him the Alaskan Avenger. How cool would it be for Jason Vukovich? to be in the Avengers movie, but how also inconvenient because he'll only attack Thanos' monsters that have sexual charges, <laughs> only the pedophiles. Like, that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Spider-Man's like, come on, Jason! And he's just like, look, he's just got, that's his superpower. He knows which ones have touched children. Yeah. There's like monsters, snarling monsters just running. <laughs> Remember that big scene in the at the end of Infinity War? Yes. Yeah. And like Black Panther's running around and Jason's just got this big Thor hammer. But like, ah, oh, none of these have touched kids. He's just got to stand there because his, his moral compass won't allow him to hurt other people. The only person you see him beating the heck out of is Jar Jar Binks. I bet he would actually, he'd probably turn around and just hit Captain America in the forehead. <laughs> just just because. Jason looks at him like, you thought I didn't know that, didn't you? <laughs> He's like, boop. <laughs> no, no. He goes after Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> the coolest Avenger and the most useless. Even more useless than Hawkeye. Honestly. <laughs> but I would love him as an Avenger. Oh, my goodness. Now 70 years old, Wesley Demarest struggles to form coherent sentences. 
He has also lost his job in the wake of tra- of the traumatic brain injury that he sustained at, at Vukovic's hands, the Alaskan Avenger. And to that, I say, fuck him. <laughs> this, this feels... Uh, I almost don't even want to say this, but it feels wrong to cheer on someone that is doing oh, you horrible can, you things. You can feel that if you want. I'm just I'm saying, it's a weird feeling in my head. I love be- this dude. Because I love this dude. He's like, uh, he's like, a, what? What is that term when the when the that bad person is actually a good person? You know, it's like it's like uh, it's like Dexter, you know. And yeah, kind of. And uh, if it, it just, but even more justified. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you know, society, not even society. I mean, science. The rate of recidivism with with people that have are pedophilic in nature is extreme extremely high to the point where some some science even says that they can't be rehabilitated uh so man it makes it hard because i want to be a good person and be like this is no 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 don't hit people with hammers don't steal their stuff but that's all i'm gonna say is also good job (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know yeah. what to do with this. I think that he took a life of crime. I think he looked back on his life of crime and he thought, I'm going to do something. And, and as a criminal, I'm going to do something good. Yeah. You know, yeah. and from a criminal state of mind, from a criminal's mindset, this makes perfect sense to me. Yes, I agree. So, as I mentioned, he, he gets pulled over not far away from, from Wesley's house just minutes after leaving by the police and is busted pretty much dead to rights. With, uh, with all the evidence that they needed to lock him up immediately. And on September 16, 2016, while awaiting trial in prison, he writes a letter to the Anchorage Daily News proposing a plea deal for his crimes. Now, Jason says, hey, I'll tell you what, here's my plea deal. I will happily serve every single day that all three of the pedophiles that I attacked served, plus all the time that my stepfather that molested and abused me my entire childhood served. Wow. You know how much time that ended up being? For all three of the pedophiles, all four of the pedophiles, the three that he attacked and his stepfather. You know how much time that that ended up being? It's probably an insulting number. The total amount of time for all four of these pieces of shit equated to eight years and nine months. Wow, and he's in for 20. In 2018, they laughed his plea deal out of the out of the room, and in 2018, Jason was sentenced to 28 years in prison over three times the amount that all four of the pedophiles received. Together, unbelievable. And he never killed anyone. I never mean, killed anyone. I know people that have gotten only twenty years for killing somebody. Well, admittedly, he was escalating rather quickly. Yes. Yeah. There's a there's a good possibility that this would have turned into a serial killer, but at the same time, we're just ridding the world of pedophiles. So I mean, you know what this would have done is well, and and to be honest, he probably thought, unless you know differently. That Demarest was dead. Like uh, he, he probably thought he had killed that. I believe guy. that he did believe that. Yeah. Yes, I think he did think and that. If he had gotten away with that, somebody not in the too far future, distant future, would have this would have been been made into media. Media would have then connected some dots and say somebody's out there killing pedophiles. And before you know it, we got this Forrest Gump running across the nation, everyone cheering him on. Kind of you know, like it would have become very convoluted. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, though. If it had gotten to that point, the court of public opinion would have 
played a heavy role in his trial, I'll bet you. I'm surprised that the court of public opinion didn't play a heavy role in his trial now because he had a huge gap. This man is a celebrity in, in true crime. It's not a unheard of name. And and Jason's story is one that you'll see a lot of times on Facebook. You know how like those little vice, it's like a little snippet yeah. where it's like, and blah, 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 blah. They, they just point out the outrageous parts of the story to right. kind of get your attention. Yeah. Uh, they did the same thing with Joe Metheny where it was like a man opened a barbecue where he sold human remains. And they used the most shocking picture that they can find of Joe Metheny. Yeah. They do the same thing with Jason's story. I've seen those on Facebook a million times. Clickbait. Jason sitting there in court. Yeah. Just as like a, a headline grabber. I don't remember the case. I, and I intentionally had, I never really looked into this one and then when I heard that we were doing it I intentionally didn't do any research because I wanted to I wanted to come into this with fresh eyes but and so I don't know this for 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 a fact but if I were the prosecution knowing that this case is this case is going to trial I would want this thing to be so sealed like I would I would not want the public to be privy of this case until after the fact and so I don't know I don't know how much visibility this got during the trial or pre-trial. Uh, actually, you said that. I, I would say that it was probably post. Yeah. I think post all the trial. information would be very post. Aside from that local community there. Yes. So like I said, in 2018, he sentenced to 28 years in prison. And f- fortunately, but still, I mean, five years of that time is suspended. So 23 years is, is the time he's going to serve in prison total. Vukovic's final victim, Wesley Demarest, has publicly expressed his relief that Vukovic is behind bars, and he likes to add that he would prefer if Jason wasn't walking around while I'm alive. And he also says at one point, how long do I have to pay for this? (laughs) Which is so ironic, coming from a fucking pedophile. Well, you know... uh, How long are those children for the rest of their lives? I don't want to say this like a threat... Because, you know, it would... I think if you're a pedophile, the the best strategy is keep your mouth shut. Having to do with anything regarding your crimes. Being a victim. Or being a victim. Or anything about your past. Or anything like that. Because your actions have hurt the most innocent among us. and The most vulnerable. The most vulnerable. The most innocent. The most frail. Impressionable. The ones that we should be protecting. I think when when you're that guy and you open your mouth like that, you're just asking for another Vukovic to show up to your door. Now I've been uh, I've been over the over the past couple of days I've you know listened to interviews with Jason. He's he's a he's a hard character to. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't talk much. You won't see much video of him. He's, he he kind of keeps to himself. But any time you hear him speaking, he's he's always he's funny. He's intelligent and articulate. Very likable. Extremely likable dude. Funny. Laid back, chill, just seems like the most likable guy ever. And as far as his the possibility of Jason getting out, well, I'll tell you what, I think it would be better to let Angelina go into that. Okay. There's no way in hell they're going to make him serve 23 years. How, how was... Um, I don't know if, if... I mean, it's possible. It's very possible. And the reason why I say that is because the people who put him in there... And the state of Alaska seemed to despise him. Um, They're a thorn in his side, and they wanted to make him an example, I guess, is what I would say. Um, And so we can't get, you know, even the prison, people at the prison have been, you know, 
messing with him and just, you know, taking away privileges and doing everything they can to make his life miserable. We have been trying to get um, the commissioner's office um, to help us with things. They, we've been trying to get the governor to help us with things, and nobody will respond. Nobody wants anything to do with it, honestly. So uh, his, he he does have a parole board in in July though, right? Of next year. July, yeah, July twenty twenty three is going to be his first um, appearance at the parole board. So what we're doing right now is we are trying to do everything we can to show the parole board that we did. You know, we are trying to get him PTSD treatment. We are trying to. Um, get him a degree while he's in there. We're trying to get him a job lined up. We're trying to get him some money so that we'll have a place for him to live. Uh, you know, all of those things. He's taking every single uh, class and certification um, and getting every things that he would never even be interested in or utilize. He's getting it anyways. And I have a stack of certifications and, you know, classes that he passed and things like that. We're getting letters of support from the community to the parole board if we go up with a stack of letters. And I don't mean support like, hey, this man was a hero. You need to let him out and continue his work kind of letters because the parole board's not going to, obviously, that's not the kind of thing they want to hear. What the parole board right. wants to hear is progress. I'm humble. I have fixed myself. I wouldn't, I'm not going to get out and commit this crime again. So people, so letters of support such as, we're going to be out here, we're going to make sure that he goes to his, you know, parole meetings and he doesn't, you know, break parole and he has a job and we're going to be his supporters out here. So we're working on all of that. The DOC is definitely making it a little bit difficult as far as, you know, getting PTSD treatment and getting a degree. They, every roadblock, there's a roadblock at every turn. Nope, sorry, we don't do that here. And we are back. So, Jason is eligible for parole in 2023 of July, July 2023. And that's where we stand at the moment. That's that's where this court stands. Jason is still in prison in Alaska. I do want to say something real quick, and I feel like this is important. Uh, because of the fact that a lot of the newspapers and everything report that Jason got these names from a sex, sex offender registry, mm. I want to say do not do this. Do not do this. And this is why. I'm okay with pedophiles being eradicated from the earth. Here's my problem with you picking names from a sex offender registry and then doing this. It gives them a reason to play the victim card and work towards laws and regulations to where the sex offender registry is no longer a thing. Or or at the very least, locked down much more difficult to get access to, unlike the two seconds it took me to find out how many pedophiles live around me or sex offenders. I agree, yes. with, I agree with that. It jeopardizes access, public access to information. Yes. Very valuable information. I agree. Uh, but that's not all I got. Oh. I've, got I've, I've, been, I've been yanking your leg about what, who I may know and, and what I am, uh, 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 any connections that I have, because I've got another surprise for you. You have Angelina's you have Angelina Jolie. You did an interview with Angelina Jolie, too? I didn't do an interview. As far as I'm concerned, I got an interview better than Angelina Jolie. Really? Angelina, Jason's sister, has been uh, very helpful, very open, and, and and she actually put me in contact with Jason Vukovic, and I got to have a, a, a great conversation with him from prison. He's in prison in Alaska. He called me from prison in Alaska. Really? And uh, I got to spend a good deal of time talking to Jason, and you're going to get to hear all of that, that, that whole conversation. Uh, oh. And, and I, I think highly of him. 
Wow. And now you're going to hear the conversation that me and Jason had. An incarcerated individual at Spring Creek Correctional Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. To consent to this recorded call, press 1. To disc a thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Ken, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, brother? Well, you know... Uh, for living in a Cambodian-style concentration camp, I seem to be surviving all right. How big is that place down there? Uh, there are. This is a 500-man maximum security yard. Shit. So, well. Yeah. Okay. Well, considering the uh, considering the the circumstances there, though, you're doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing all right. They, I mean, with all of these new COVID protocols, they've got us basically on sort of a low-key lockdown, you know what I mean? So there's very little movement, no visitation, there's no mixing with other mods. Uh, they've got us on isolation protocols, but I mean, it's definitely an environment that is designed to keep you alive and suffering this shit out all the way to the bitter end, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's working so far. Well, I, I spoke with uh, Angelina, your sister, for about, uh, I guess we talked for about an hour the night before last, yeah. and she filled yeah. me in a, a lot on, on you know, kind of the, the the backstory here, and I'd also watched all the documentaries and everything. I've got a pretty good idea of, of you know, the story, so I kind of wanted to uh, get to know you as a person a little bit more. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh sure. Uh, and I want to balance these questions kind of uh, back and forth between serious to just kind of fun to just kind of keep it right. just kind of keep it chill you know what I mean yep yep and actually I think we can do that. yeah and before before I, I made before we got this call I actually made a post on uh, Facebook and a lot of our 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 followers had a bunch of questions for you. So actually all of these questions um, come from people that are, that, that, that think a lot of you. Oh yeah. Nice. Right uh, and uh, I've kind of steered clear. I, I didn't ask the ones that, that could, you know, pe- be potentially uh, just not good for any future. You know what I mean? Like just, right. Right. So, I mean, I appreciate that, but I, I will tell you, in general, uh, based on what the Alaska court system has demonstrated to me throughout the course of my life, I pretty much figure uh, I'm, I'm screwed no matter what it is I do or I say. Um, and that, that was, you know, that was the truth as a child uh, dealing with the Alaska system, and that was certainly true as an adult dealing with the Alaska system, so... Yeah, it kind of sounds like the uh, the Alaskan uh, judicial system there isn't much different than the other forty nine states. That yeah, that <laughs> yeah, exactly. we're yeah, traditionally exactly. we're not good at handling people. Uh, right. Well, the thing is, uh, the best the best analogy that I can give people is uh, if you ever uh, cruise through California and you wonder what Elon Musk built that giant fucking factory for. All you have to do is look at the product that comes out the end of it, and you think to yourself, oh, he built it uh, to pro- I get it. Yeah. Same way, if you look at our system of justice, don't think it was an accident. It is built by design with purpose to facilitate
facilitate child predators and that sort of behavior. Um, and that, that it's not an accident that that is what happens. Um, and if a person has the audacity to challenge a child predator or a pedophile, you will definitely be serving two or three or four times longer than the child predator uh, for your crime. And your story alone, just just your story alone, from the time you were a child to now, is proof of that, uh, time and time again. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I'm a, I'm a rational person, and I believe simple is genius. So I'm sure you're aware, at some point after my arrest, I simply penned an offer to the prosecutor's office the newspaper published it for me, um, and I told them, check it out, no problem. I'll plead guilty to any combination of charges you wish. I have one caveat, and that is my sentence is to equal in length what each child predator served, and I'll do all of their prison sentences back to back to back. Um, and I even offered to serve the three years in prison that the guy that was convicted of molesting me when I was a child never served. They gave him a suspended sentence. So I said, I'll serve the three years for the monster that made me as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that came to a total of like nine years, nine months, or six years, nine months. And um, they absolutely laughed that offer out of the courtroom. And ultimately, uh, again, as you know, I ended up getting three times longer than all of the pedophiles combined. Uh, 28 years, right? Yeah, 23, 23 years. With uh, five, was it five time served or how? Uh, five suspended. Five right. suspended. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, first, well, first off, just to kick all this off, uh, I want to say I know that you know since since all this, you've kind of had a a change of heart and and kind of denounced your actions. But with that being said, you do you do need to know that. When I made that post on Facebook, there were like 200 people that just wanted to say, like literally, that just wanted to say thank you and that they support you 100% and that they didn't have any questions. They just wanted you to know that they, they're, they're, they, they're thankful for you. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. And I also, uh, you know, I want to address that super briefly, and I'll tell you, uh, without going into too much detail, um, I suppose... Um, it should be obvious to everyone that the, the sort of tone or tenor or specific things a person would say uh, when they're standing in a courtroom facing judgment by a court um, may or may not have some modification. From oh, the absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Um, uh, I know what you're saying. I also, yeah, and, I, and I'll also tell you that um, I cannot speak for any other man um, nor say what is appropriate for any other person to do. But I will tell you that no one on the face of this earth should be surprised when a child who was molested and beaten and let down by their community and their state grows up and has a chip on his shoulder towards pedophiles and assaults them. No one should be surprised. No, um, no. In fact, we should, we should all be very surprised that it doesn't happen more often and more frequently. I think they should just uh, be happy that you didn't kill them. I think that's... Because yeah. uh, they, they they deserved a lot more than they got, in my opinion. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. Well, Tara Towers wanted to know, have you have you heard any of the myths about yourself? Have you heard any myths about yourself? Any uh, untruths in the story in general? Um, you know, it's... Now, mind you... Um, Keep in mind that I, my life, um, 
is in a concrete shoebox. Right. So the majority of what has been said or spoken, I have not even been privy to. Um, but my sister... You're I, not, so you're not like, I'm sure you're, you're aware to a certain extent, you know you're kind of a celebrity in the in the true crime circuit, right? That's interesting. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but, uh, so that's cool. Um, I just appreciate that the issue um, is, is getting visible because um, it's extremely important. Um, but I will say, I think my sister has done a great job to the best of her ability of correcting small untruths um, or things that have popped up. But yeah, I'm certain there's some mythology attached to the case. And there was some, just talking to her, you know, there was some th- little things uh, that, that I even I caught just talking to her and things that I've read. Uh, yeah. It's little stuff here and there, but... yeah. With that being said, Josh Garrison, on a lighter note, Josh Garrison was curious if your enormous testicles cause you lower back pain. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love that. I love that because, check it out, I've told people I've told people for a very long time, like, look, I'm working with the standard white boy issue, but I'll tell you this, I've got giant nuts. Trust me, the balls, enormous. Uh, and I mean, it, for real, it does take a certain amount of wherewithal to go into a stranger's residence uh, completely unarmed and prepare yourself for some hand-to-hand uh, combat. Because you don't know, like people... They could be armed. This, absolutely, 100%. And if you think convicted felons don't have firearms, you're out of your mind. So that's, there is some, I have heard some of that commentary along the way, like, oh, he was picking soft targets because these guys aren't allowed to carry guns and this and that or other. And let me tell you, uh, the majority of my peer group are convicted felons, and the majority of them all have guns, knives, et cetera, et cetera. So. Well, let me tell you, my father was a criminal his entire life. And right. he had a gun. I don't remember a time when he didn't have a gun on him. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's no such so, thing as a soft target. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is that certainly, uh, again, with my peer group, I had access. I could have worn a mask and carried a gun everywhere I went, for sure. Um, But I chose to go face up um, and put my hands on people because I felt the issue deserved personal attention. Absolutely. Um, And I wanted wanted to give it that personal attention. So that's how that went. Well, this this next one is is kind of a little bit sadder now, knowing your kind of outlook on your chances of getting out. I guess, yeah. But but all of us feel like there's no way in hell if there is a God, there is no way in hell that you're going to serve the full sentence. And with that being said, if you do get out, uh, Ola Grosvold from Norway wants to know uh, what the first thing that that you would do when you got out would be. Oh my God. I mean, uh, wow, to, to be perfectly candid with you, I haven't allowed myself to think that. Yeah, that's why I suddenly feel bad about this question, because... It's okay, no, it's fine, um, but I will tell you that I have a very strong and deep longing for bacon uh, and the affections of a woman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, putting those aside, uh, freedom and fresh air are, are things that are very precious to me, and I, I certainly um, would be grateful to experience both of those. Uh, well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm married with three kids, and since we've had kids, I also long for the affection of a woman. <laughs> because... I know, I know. Yeah, right. I already know. That's hilarious. 
So uh, Caroline Deshions and Allison Morgan both asked the same question. They wanted to know uh, what it's what is it, what is it like, kind of being considered by everybody out here at least as a hero. And in jail, does that kind of give you a certain? Do you garner a certain level of respect amongst the other inmates because of, I guess, the the nature of your crimes? Are you kind of a celebrity in there too? I guess is what. Okay, so what's interesting about that is is we would all think so. Um, however, the reality of the situation is um, this particular peer group is not exceptionally respectful in general, so there is some of that. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, realistically, another word for hero in prison is target. And um, this applies to the staff. Um, and not so much with inmates, but certainly with staff. Um, if they think you think you're something special, then trust me, they're coming for you. Oh, okay. Shakedowns, UAs, etc., etc., etc. So um, it's interesting because I have never used that particular word in reference to myself. No, nobody, <laughs> n- nobody right. would. Right. Anybody with common sense. Yeah. Simple man, uh, I was grateful uh, to be called to help out some people that needed it. Um, but yeah, in, in this environment, it's it, it's not a good thing. Well, and, and this is this is my question, just to kind of keep adding, you know, let people know that you're a human, because I, th- I bet you've ha- been asked all these questions probably a million times. Well, what? And and to get away from this for just a second, all the crime stuff. What, in your opinion? is the greatest movie of all time. Oh, my God. What is the greatest? That's a great question. You, oh you're stranded God. on an island, Jason. You're stranded on an island. You can take, I know. You can take one movie and one album. Uh, one uh, movie, one album. Uh, oh, my God. Everyone is going to hate me for this, <laughs> but it's so crazy because I have never had until coming to prison any time in my life to watch movies. <laughs> Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah, you were busy. I, you. I know, exactly. <laughs> I hate to hit you with the boondock saints because it just seems too... Oh, that's crazy. a perfect answer. That's a perfect <laughs> answer. Right, right. But, uh, and perfect album. Um, again, my music choices lately are tempered by my environment, so my peer group is into all of this modern, you know, uh, whatever sort of stuff is playing on the radio, modern nowadays, so I just get a smattering of that. Uh, and it's crazy because I live in a social media and pop culture isolation tank, so very little from the outside world makes its way here. So it's right. You know, what we can pick up on basic cable, that's basically the only thing I'm privy to. Uh, Andrew, yeah. Andrew Krasinski and Danielle McFall both asked, what's your favorite prison recipe? So, you know, you're hanging out oh there. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to tell you right now, I've got a buddy who is Spanish descent. He's, well, he's mobile Mexican, and he made me some Frito pie. Oh. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm on this super fitness regime right now, and I only break the diet once a month. But if I'm going to, I like to have him cook because he makes some amazing things. He made some corn nut casserole the other day out of sour cream and onion corn nuts which was just absolutely phenomenal, and I don't even know how he did it, but there are some amazing prison chefs. The shit you can do with ramen noodles, too, is... It's it's phenomenal. It's like chicken. You can do almost anything with ramen noodles. (laughs) That's exactly right. 
and I could live the rest of my life off corn nuts alone. So, I know, right? I well, know, right? this next one is a, is a little bit more, I guess, um, heavy, and it comes from a, a young lady by the name of Samantha Liesenmeyer. She's a she's yeah. a big fan, and she's a very sweet young lady. And I'm just going to quote her. She says, okay. he is a hero to many and has many regrets for what he has done. Instead of getting help, he took matters into his own hands. I love the idea of getting back at sex offenders being a victim myself. I never felt much closer until my attacker died. A big part of me yeah. died with him. A huge hole, yeah. my childhood. How is his mental health these days? What can we do to help advocate for him? I would love to see him get out and continue to help abuse children in a different way. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. She's she's super on point. Um, she's super on point. And uh, that I've literally said something very, very similar. Um, like I told, I told the court and other people, um, like, look, my freedom and my life wasn't taken when I got this long prison sentence. It was taken from me when I was a child by a child molester. That's literally how it works. Um, and um, things to help um, in the meantime, um, like we are super um, intensely trying to find some sort of a PTSD therapist um, that can do some sort of therapy classes via Zoom or telephone um, because this prison doesn't facilitate anything like that. Um, and that is Naturally. That I need. Yeah, of course not. Um, and that's something that I need to have addressed by the time I hit the parole board. Um, so if anybody anywhere knows uh, a bona fide therapist that could navigate these waters, we would appreciate it. Um, and then, and then also, I super support what she's saying. I absolutely would love to get out of prison um, and do something that is pro children and for children, um, because those of us that have been through it and have survived um, child abuse, we we can spot each other um, and we can relate to each other. Um, it's a, it's like a particular sort of sickness um, to be healed from. Um, so I, I, I super appreciate her words very much and tell her thanks. Like, we make up a very dysfunctional family, but anybody that's gone through it is family to me. Well, that's going to mean a lot to her. And I also want to say, you know, talking to Angelina and uh, listening yeah. to interviews that you have given, um, you come off to me as, a, as an incredibly intelligent uh articulate and I just feel like if they could let you man I feel like you could do whatever the fuck you wanted to do like if you do you know what I mean like a lot of times you hear people say well I, you know Stephen Avery you know I don't know if you know who that is uh, if he was, if he was to, and, and he's a bad guy. We're talking about a bad guy here. But if he was to say, like, right. I'm going to be a lawyer when I get out of out of prison, everybody would be like, "Fuck off, dude! You're you're, you're going to be a busboy or something." Like, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Right. But you you come off to me, and I think everybody, and I was talking to Angelina about this, as extremely intelligent, well put together, and and, and articulate. And I and I yeah. and she was telling me about all the. She showed me a stack of, of certificates you've got while you've been in there, and yeah. and 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 I just man, I, I think it would be a big waste to society to see you sit in there for for every. I feel like it's a waste to society every single day that you sit in there. So it is. No, no you're right. It is. Uh, but so there's two two aspects to this. So first of all, thanks for noticing. I appreciate that. Um, some of this is what happens to a person that 
that is beaten and molested like a farm animal when they're very, very young. We tend to make choices throughout our life that don't add up to personal successes or achievement. Um, and something subconscious or psychological happens to you and you're not even conscious of that process, you just look back on your life and realize, like, man, I could have made a whole series of other choices and been amazing right now. Um, so there's that aspect of it. The other thing, too, is that I promise you it's a privilege to be called to go pull a couple weeds in the garden. And how my life ended up ordered in such a fashion um, that I got the call and happened to be there and went and did some very simple heavy lifting, um, I do not know. But I will tell you I was grateful um, because when I was a young man, had some tattooed up badass booted in the front door and beat the brakes off of the man that was molesting me, I would have given a cheer um, and I may have believed there was a God in heaven or that life had good things to offer. And that never happened for me. So from a personal level, just the fact that I was able to be that for a couple of other kids, yeah, worth it. Worth it. Like, what a privilege. What a privilege. Well, I didn't even have this one written down, but a question that I remembered seeing. With that being said, you know, you've kind of... A lot of people on the internet call you the Alaskan Avenger. Um, right. What is your favorite Avenger? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, well, I'm going to be making yeah. the joke on the podcast because you know we do kind of a true crime kind of comedy podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna right. be placing, right. I'm gonna be placing you amongst the Avengers. Uh, right. So. Well, I was going to say something about Thor and his hammer, uh, but, you know, I will also tell you that having lived as a low-budget Batman, and I don't know if he fits into the Avengers scheme, but somewhere between Thor and his hammer and low-budget Batman, and then, I mean, hell, if I could get some gadgets like Iron Man, yeah, great. <laughs> See, to me, you're kind of more like a, I look at you like a more gritty kind of 2021 version of Robin Hood, because... Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know that you took the, the 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 stuff that you took from the houses of those pieces of shit, and you gave yep. them to people that needed it, and that's very Robin Hood esque, kind yep. of. I think. Well, yeah, and you know, there's some psychology behind that, um, which again, my life path, just the way it was ordered, I happened to have been in prison for two or three years, one time, and what I saw here was the gangs would tax these pedophiles and would put them on room restriction and would tax them. And it was interesting because as a group, these child predators are very egotistical and arrogant and narcissistic. And when you put them on room restriction and it costs them something, there's something very particular. Um, you can slap somebody up and they'll get over it quickly. But when it actually costs them something, um, it's strange. It just hits this very deep psychological place in them where they know you're paying for what the fuck you did. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, like the psychology but, behind that? But it, yeah, but it works. So, I mean, I, I guess that's where some of this internet back chatter I've heard, like, look, I didn't need anything from any of them. Nothing. And, and interestingly enough, if you know me as a person, there's not one single penny that I wish to have from any pedophile anywhere. I don't want anything that they produce or have. However, uh, it was also deeply satisfying and meaningful to hand over stuff, things, money, 
from a pedophile to a single mom with kids or to somebody that needed it. Um, and they didn't necessarily know exactly where it came from. Um, they had an idea. But for me personally, it was just such a, I don't know, just a satisfying process where you're like, God, that feels good to take this monster stuff and give it to this child. Man, that felt great. You know that you you talking about all that about the psychology behind feeling taking something from them. It, it made me think of an interview I was listening to uh, from one of your quote unquote victims. I don't like to refer refer to them as that, but he he had the gall, the, he had the audacity to say he he kind of thinks out loud to the reporter. He says, "How long am I going to have to pay for this?" And I found that so ironic. Because yeah. how long is the yeah. victims that you, they're going to be paying yeah. for it the rest of their life. Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. And I mean, uh, even more surreal than that was imagine um, as an eight-year-old child, I stood in a courtroom in Alaska and wa- listened while they gave the man they had just convicted of molesting and beating me zero jail time to serve. And then fast forward and I stood literally in that exact same courtroom the same courtroom as an adult while two pedophiles stood next to me and cried to the judge about how horrible their life was and they can't sleep at night and they got to check the locks on their doors and they just went on at length and describing how I had ruined their lives Uh, (laughs) and quietly internally um, first of all it was one of the most difficult experiences of my life to stand there and listen but secondly internally I just thought to myself yep yep now maybe you got it. Now maybe you get what everybody else has gone through. Maybe. And it's still not enough. It's still not enough. No, it's not. Well, uh, Hale Smith wants to know, is there any organization that you would like people to support, and can they send you gifts personally? Um, so if, number one, organizations um, that I personally support, Boys and Girls Club Alaska, um, I uh, met a number of the kids who I helped out along the way there, and it was just a really great place. Um, a lot of these kids lived in dirty, you know, run-down homes or neighborhoods, trailer parks, and they would walk over to the Boys and Girls Club, um, and I used to volunteer there. And uh, it's just a really great, safe environment for kids. Um, so if I had to pick an organization, that's, that's what I would say. Um, and then as far as sending me gifts and things, this prison is very astringent with their rules. Um, I love letters. I always write back. Um, you could buy softback books from Barnes & Noble um, or Hamilton booksellers online and, and send those. Um, or if anybody wants to do anything financially, um, this prison requires you to be an approved visitor, and there's a number of steps you have to go through in order to send me any funds. Um, but I think my sister has like a GoFundMe or something that's pretty readily visible online. You can find that. Yeah, and Jason, just just so you know, uh, whenever I do this episode on you, um, in the in the descriptions and the yeah. all the all the listeners will know, uh, I'm going to have a links to all that stuff so they they can send you uh-huh. money. They Thank can. You, bro. I'm going to make sure all that's there so that it makes it easiest for them. And right. uh, I'm also going to mention it on the episode. So you're you're heavily tattooed. Like I'm covered in tattoos. I got sleeves. Uh, it, what is your favorite? And Carlene Van Buskirk uh, was wondering which of all your tattoos is most meaningful to you and is your favorite. 
Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. It's funny because the culture that I come from, we're very touchy about people asking about our tattoos. Um, so I'll keep the response very simple. I'll tell you my favorite ones are the little tiny tributes that I have to my nieces uh, and my little tiny baby sister. That's beautiful. Um, That's my, beautiful. Right? Those are my favorites. Um, and yes, they all hurt. And 100% of the ink on my body is single needle, homemade gun, prison, tattoo work. Like a badass. Like a badass. Yep. yep. You're not That's using none of this pussy fied tattoo never. gun bullshit. <laughs> never. I've never. I probably have 600 hours of single needle tattoo work. So. An interesting thing is about that is every second that you're being drilled on, uh, the physical pain mitigates any emotional pain. So, point being, your heart doesn't hurt at all when you're getting drilled on it straight. Well, I, I, I've got, we got one minute left. I, I want to ask two more questions. Melissa Delala wanted to know, what do you want other victims of abuse to know now that you wish you had known before? And the last question is a little bit heavy from Eric Matthew, but it's a quick one. Quesadillas or nachos? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, quesadillas. Okay. Um, and then she was asking, what what do I want the victims to know? Yeah, what do you want other victims of abuse to know now that you wish you had known uh, before? Um, what I want them to know is that you're not alone. And you have a large family. Um, and we should always be there for each other. And you should always be willing to help if a child is in need. I'll just say that. Well, thank you, brother. You're awesome, and you can call me anytime you want. I saved my card if you want to talk. Thank you for using I appreciate you, man. So how'd you like that op? Pretty crazy, huh? You like that last card that I had, that ace in the pocket? I didn't even see that I had that ace in the pocket. I got an interview with the man himself, the fucking Alaskan Avenger, the Avenging Angel, the bringer of pain to the pedophile, the pedophile pain bringer. That's amazing. That's amazing that you got that. I, I, I don't really. My heart wants to monetize this. <laughs> Speaking of money, I'm glad you brought that up. Speaking of money, there is uh, there is one last thing concerning the story that I want to do. Now, you yourself, all you listeners, you can donate. You can donate to Jason. You can donate to his commissary. You can donate to his legal fees. You can do, you can and, and we're going to go to Angelina one last time for. for uh, if you're if you want to help if you want to help Jason let me let me tell you how you can do it and by that I'm gonna let Angelina tell you how you can do it. I think the most important thing for me uh, is is letting people know we have a lot of listeners we have a lot of listeners and and I think this could help but what's most important for me is where can people donate. Uh, put money on his commissary, uh, help towards legal fees, um, yes. anything they can do to help. Yes, okay, so I have actually, there's a lot of things you can actually do to help. And anything from, um, well, first of all, I think I kind of have explained this a million times, and in fact, if you click on this link that I'm about to talk about, there's a video of where, where I explain how to put money on his commissary. It's not very easy at all. You have to pass a background check and become an approved visitor at the prison. This whole thing. Like, yeah, it's a big situation. pain in the ass. Yes, so that's why I created a, um, there's a GoFundMe and there's a PayPal money pool. And the reason why I have two different ones is because technically in, in the fine print on GoFundMe, you cannot have, uh, basically you cannot raise money for legal fees 
for convict, uh, people convicted of violent crimes. So we have two different ones. Um, it really doesn't matter where you donate. <laughs> you put a note of where you want it to go to, and, and we'll do what we will with it. Right? Like, we'll right, right. So, um, but there's lots of things. Besides donating money, you know, even... <laughs> We have templates. I have a Google Drive with two templates that you can download, and uh, they're letters to the governor and they're letters to the parole board. And it's somebody somebody's written these out. They're very professional. If you are not a writer, you don't feel like doing that. All you have to do is plug your name in, sign it, and email it. You can do it all from your phone and email it to the email that I provide on there, and and we will send it in to them. You know, and that, just little things like that. Sharing his story is huge. There's a podcast that you can listen to. There's merchandise that you can purchase where the proceeds go to Jason. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things on there. There's a, um, a Barnes & Noble's book wish list, which I think somebody actually just yesterday bought all the books on there, which was awesome. Um, so I need to re-up on that. But, you know, there's, there's things. And, and spreading the word is huge, huge. But I have a link tree in the bio of every single and i'll send it to you as well yeah and um, and just for the listeners uh whether you're listening to it on itunes stitcher spotify in the description of this podcast episode if you will uh scroll down there i'll have links to everything that she's talking about so that it makes it quick and easy for you mm-hmm. yeah and he loves to get letters and he writes everybody back like you know there's um in fact there's still some things that i need to do um it's photographs anymore like from your own self you have to get on like shutterfly or pillow post download the app and upload and and have it mailed directly from them to the to the prison but um you know you guys can write him his information's up there too Uh, all kinds of things all kinds of things so we're looking for the people who want to help advocate you know help spread the word like i'm looking for people who want to donate some time you know donate 30 minutes a week to you know, sending mass messaging some people about him, you know, things like that. So there's all kinds of things that you can do to help and, and support. All right. So she, she kind of cleared that up real quick. And in the description of whatever you're listening to this episode on, be it iTunes, be it Stitcher, be it Spotify, we will provide a link that you can go to. You click on that link, it'll take you to a fast and easy page where you can pick exactly what you want to do, be it donate to his commissary, donate to legal fees. There's It's it's super simplified by Angelina has made this super streamlined, and, and I would appreciate that. This is, uh, I, I really want to see this guy, I, I really want to see this guy walk. I want to see him, I want to see him be free. And I would just add to that, like you said before, don't do this don't do what Jason did, but also keep in mind that honey buns from commissary are as good as gold in prison and can be used to As are trade. ramen noodles yes. and Fritos. Right. So much you can do. You can turn Fritos and Cheetos, you can turn Fritos and Cheetos into a seasoning of sorts even. So, yes, you know. So that's it, Up. Let's wrap it up. Uh, that, that's it for the episode. I do have some some stuff here I want to do real quick. I've been noticing on on Twitter, 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 mm. what? That 
apparently uh, podcasters, uh, bigger podcasters, podcasts than ourselves. I'm trying to figure out how we can how we can grow, and it seems like the thing to do these days is is just start running your mouth like a middle schooler. Um, I'm seeing this with two podcasters in, in particular, and and I see some people taking the side of one, and some people taking the side of the other, and not realizing realizing that they're basically the exact same person, uh, uh, just two sides of of the same coin, really. <laughs> One isn't better than the other, regardless of of what you want to think, and and we're trying to jump on that bag bandwagon. You know, they've got rivals. We want a rival, and if we can't join in their rivalry, I'll start a rivalry of my own. <laughs> and I've decided that the beef that I'm going to start with is the the stories podcast, and it, it it is a stories. It's it's called Stories Podcast, a free children's story podcast for bedtime car rides and kids of all ages. Oh man. The nerve of those what and, and fuck these guys. That's that's what I, you're trying How to dare as, as one as one of our listeners said. You're trying to push your bullshit fairy tales on on our children. You're trying to push fake reality on our children. I only let my kids watch Schindler's List and Milo and Otis because I, I want them to have equal doses of reality. Trying to manipulate their imaginations. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I don't either. You know what? I, I I do not like labels. But I will go as far as to say these people running this podcast, those people there, those are childists. Always worrying about kids and what are the kids going to listen to and what if the kids need a story for the car ride or what if the kids need a story to fall asleep to. Sleep to? They can fall asleep to silence. Yeah, they can. They don't need... I hope this beef Sickening. really goes. Makes me <laughs> sick. And and just so you know, uh, Stories Podcast, a free children's story podcast for bedtime car rides and kids of all ages. You can hit me up on Twitter and we can we can argue if you want and, and make a big deal out of it and make an absolute assholes. Make absolute assholes of ourselves like it seems uh, other other large podcasts are doing. That's fun. That's, that's a good time. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm going to say that they aren't going to even come at you. Oh, I'm coming even harder next okay. week if they don't respond. <laughs> just keep, I'm coming even harder just next keep week. Keep it on them, huh? Yeah. With that being said, do all the shit. Follow us on Instagram and rate and review and blah 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 on iTunes and and wherever you get your podcast and all that that annoying repetitive shit that all the podcasts do. And with that being said, up, I would like to close this episode out uh, with a podcast from four of my good friends. I was actually on their podcast the other day as a guest. Uh, Tally, Richard, Celeste, and Kristen. Oh, the unethical podcast. The unethical podcast. Yes. The unethical podcast. Okay. Wow. Yes. Oh, you want to? We're going to play something. I want to do a promo. Now? I want to okay. play a promo for him. Yeah. I want to do a promo. These are four people that have been good to us. They've been good to TCK. They've been fans of TCK since the beginning, and and I think a lot of them, all four of them, I've gotten to know them all through Facebook and private messenger uh, since since the pilot episode of TCK. They're they're good people, and they make a good podcast, and I want to support them because they've been nothing but good to us. Oh, that's nice. Well, I guess then we'll we'll get out of the way. I'm grateful that you had so much. Uh, content to 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 talk about today uh, after this phone call i'll probably call you tomorrow although i have to say for the first time in this podcast history i'm kind of struggling to to say hugs i'll beat your ass with a hammer
Hi, I'm Celeste. Hi, I'm Richard. Hey, I'm Christy. And I'm Tally. We're the hosts of Unethical Podcast. Every episode, we take a humorous dive into a case study that poses an ethical question, like, should mentally ill murderers ever be released? No. When a victim consents to die, is it still a murder? Yep. And does someone telling someone to kill themselves make you culpable if they do? Nah. We discuss what the outcomes of these cases are and what they should be with a unique guest host every episode, assuming someone is brave enough to join us. Richard needs some more testosterone around here. Nah, I think it's mostly coming from Celeste. Girls are mean. We will also explore the supernatural, the theoretical, and the conspiratorial. We'll talk about what's underground, what's above the sky, what's hiding in the dark, and what makes you see the light. What about what's in your closet? I want to believe. God damn, I love Dana Scully. You need a minute? Are you guys watching? Because that helps. I wish I was a tree. But when does a fun story become a dangerous influence? When is fiction actually fact? The last time I checked, those words meant the opposite. It doesn't matter. Our podcast is no holds barred, true crime, comedy, adult content, and definitely not for everybody. But, but like most people, most people aren't like can handle swear words and stuff, right? Am I right about that? No. No. But if you, like us, have trauma-fueled coping mechanisms, join us each week and visit a destination you can't unvisit. The dark side. You can subscribe wherever you eat your podcasts to listen. Follow us on Instagram where we post our teasers to guess what's coming next. And join us on Facebook to get involved in the conversation. Welcome to Unethical Podcast.